bottle for water jugs to actually go off. I'm just not water coming out of this jug. The smell smells horrible for some reason. We filled it up a short while ago with boiling hot water. And I'm thinking, do thermos flasks go off? Oh, dear. No, it's not plastic. I don't know what it is. It's metal, I suppose. It just smells. It's either that or the cup's horrible. Can't work it out, actually. Oh, vile. Anyway. It's like being in the middle of a paddy field in the middle of a monsoon or something. Trip. Oh, God, it smells vile. Anyway, nice to be company. Welcome along. It's Tuesday. And thank goodness the weather is up for the uh, up for the better today. So it'll be shorts and T-shirts and everything. And all the most inappropriate people. It'll be all the old lardies out there today. All the old chavs walking up and down, getting last year's string vests out. Walking up and down the high street, flip-flops. God knows it'll be awful. Anyway, apart from that, oops, should be very nice indeed. We shall all, uh, we shall go out there and have a laugh. Because we like a bit of a laugh on a Tuesday. I like a laugh any day of the week. I got a bus yesterday and um, some bloke got on and he went, hello Steve. And I went, hello, because I'm quite used to this happening quite a lot. And uh, he had a pair of headphones on. Of course, you know, naturally, what are you listening to? 80s. He listens to 80s music. And, uh, and we were reminded of when you were younger, you didn't have... And, the, and, the, and jogged my memory straight away because I, I think, yeah, I absolutely did that. And I had a, a tape recorder and the tape recorder was uh, reel-to-reel tapes, you know, proper tape, not not cassette tape, proper tape. And mine was an Elizabethan. I'm not even sure if you can buy the things nowadays, but it was a it was a present from my parents for Christmas and I know it cost 25 quid because that's what our budget was at Christmas for Christmas presents, 25 pounds for, you know, unless you you doubled up for your birthday, in which case it probably went to 30 or something like that. So I got this thing and and every and it must have been Sunday or something like that, you would record the Pick of the Pops programme. You would record the pop music because it was the only way you had of hearing the local chart stuff of the day. You turned on the radio and there it was. And I can remember, you know, put it, you actually line the tape up and you put your radio on and then I used to have a microphone and I would hold it next to the speaker recording the music which came out of the radio. And then every so often, just as the DJ was about to speak, you push the pause button. So they go... Dip. And you quickly sort of push the pause button. And so you were able to record the top tunes of the day, which was very good. And, and then I was reminded that you would also, as you were holding the microphone to the speaker, sometimes your mother had come up, opened the bedroom door, and you'd go, shh, 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 I'm recording, recording. And so your mother would go, oh, right, OK. And so the, when you were listening back to the music, as your mother said something, it would dip down a little bit. The worst thing was when the tape you used to get snagged. You'd be going, no, no, I'm recording the Beatles. Whereas in the case of yesterday, when I went back home, I um, I sort of downloaded loads of uh, BG stuff. Do you know, I bought a copy of All This and World War Two, And this was the Beatles album that had on, as we reminded you yesterday, um, everybody from the Bee Gees singing with Alice Cooper to Frankie Valli. I mean, there was everybody on this album. And apparently it's quite a rarity. I managed to pick up a copy on CD of, uh, of that for 20 quid. But there's another copy on there for £2,000. And I can't believe that somebody would actually spend 2000 quid. I nearly bought two or three copies at £19.99 each, but I, I stopped myself. I bought a Bee Gees documentary and... Um, and and then sort of I felt better about it. So I've I've ordered about four different things. So I hope that their their coffers get flooded with more money, worth every penny, worth every penny. I was talking to a friend of mine, Graham, who's a big fan of the Bee Gees, and he said what people don't realise is that their early material. We know that they did Islands in the Stream and Chain Reaction and uh, stuff for Barbara Streisand, stuff for uh, Dionne Warwick, loads of people like that. 
But in fact, it was their early stuff which was the best. Their early stuff was really, really good and of its time. So it's worthwhile checking out. There's loads of Greatest Hits albums uh, out there from uh, the Bee Gees. And apparently, as we pointed out yesterday, uh, Robin's mum is still alive. She's 92. She's flying back into the country. I think she lives in... She's either in Florida or Australia. I think she's probably in Florida. And they're flying her in as well today. And uh, apparently everybody absolutely distraught. But I think a bit of privacy for them. At this, uh, at this sad time. The other story, which um, was on the front page of the Mail today, and it's on the front page of the uh, quite a number of other papers, is the, uh, the huntsman who raped that married woman. You remember she was very, very drunk. He thought that it's OK to rape somebody when they're drunk. He's 78, I think, something like that. He's been given four years in prison. You know, I wasn't sure when this went... To, to be honest with you, when this first went to court, I was thinking... Because when you've been on the jury, you start thinking... How would I react? And it's amazing how many of you have said the same thing to me who've also reported back from jury service. And you've said exactly the same thing. You've said, you know, you, have, you, you form an opinion to start with when you look at the person. Then by the time you've heard the evidence, you turn it all around. You now sort of think of something completely different. It's like the, uh, the case in the paper today of uh, Elliot Turner. Elliot Turner's a murderer. He's a killer. He killed his girlfriend uh, because, because she looked at some other bloke. He, was, he thought he was little Mr Flash. He's, uh, he's nothing. He's scum. He's absolute scum. His parents are also now facing jail because they covered up for him. His father's a jeweller, apparently, and they live in... They sit here in their £350,000 house in Bournemouth. And I thought, God blimey, there's flats around our way worth more than that. A three hundred fifty. But he lived... He was one of these Walter Mitty, coke, flash, spoilt, stupid, ignorant, you know little children who hung around with girls. He thought he had the firm. He, he, he was that deluded. Well, he's now spending uh, the rest of his life in, in jail, actually. And he murdered her in a fit of jealousy. Uh, he's 20, looks a lot older. He's going to be growing up in prison, as you all know. Uh, she was only 17. And uh, his arrogance was such that even his own defence lawyer was forced to describe him as brash, flash, boastful, spoilt, volatile, obsessive, possessive and obsessed. A disgusting piece of work, and with parents like that, dear God in heaven, I mean, you, know, you worry, don't you, for the state of things. It's amazing how many, uh, how many parents appear to be in court. Here's the whiskey-swilling grandfather with an eye for young women who's drunk in attack, sparked a civil war in the society stag hunt that revered him. So uh, John Norris was revered in the community, and uh, the hunt stood by him. But uh, unfortunately, the, uh, the court decided differently. Uh, other stories which I was looking at earlier on. I was trying to find something yesterday. I was trying to find something that was remotely light, but it was so depressing with, uh, with sort of the death of, uh, of Robin Gibb and everything else that was going. There was nothing really that was, that was interesting. But I did laugh this morning looking at Chelsea, who apparently are a football team. Uh, I just thought it was an area of London that was fairly well healed, but apparently they have a football team with a lot of chavs in it, which is funny for a place like Chelsea, isn't it? You don't normally ex- sort of associate chavs and Chelsea. You, you look at the captain, John Terry, you won't find a bigger chav in your life. Even Frank Lampard's a bit chavvy, I'm afraid. Certainly got chavvy girlfriend. And, uh, and I didn't think, not that I know these things, but I wasn't particularly sure whether or not John Terry actually played football. I mean, he didn't the other day because he was suspended. Spends a lot of time being suspended. And, so, and then magically put his kit on to go and hold the cup aloft, whereas he had nothing to do with it. Absolutely nothing to do with it at all. But uh, never let it be said that uh, he didn't muscle in on somebody else's uh, moment of glory. And there's a picture of them all out on the town. Oh, look, Christine. 
Christine Bleakley's still not working. Can't get a gig. It's a little bit difficult. Never mind, there'll be another one round the corner for you very shortly. But uh, she has to keep smiling at him, because let's face it, without him, nothing. Perhaps it's the other way around. And here's a picture of um, uh, somebody called Didier Drogba. You see, I can actually pronounce it. I've, I've got no idea who he is. But uh, Rih- Rihanna teamed up with the Champions League when Chelsea as they went on a 30-hour bender. Because that's what they do. Because mentally, they're all about five years old. So they, they, they play football. They're supposed to be intelligent and, and stay at home and maybe sort of have, have some light. They go out on a bender. A bender. Because they've all got loads and loads of uh, money. Mario Balotelli. A bit bored with him, actually. In fact, anything that's got the name Mario stamped on it now. I'm not that, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't have a problem with sort of footballers. It's stupid footballers I have a problem with. You know, stupid football, dumb footballers. Footballers who are, who are that thick, you kind, of, you kind of worry, don't you, really? And I love the idea. Found another one, I'm sorry. Jermaine Defoe. You know, he went out briefly with uh, Alexandra Burke. And uh, that, was a, that was a match made in hell, I thought. Because she's, she's a bit feisty. And he's, he's not the brightest penny in the box. Anyway, as a gift... As a gift, ladies and gentlemen, he apparently bought her a flash watch and a ring and a £175,000 Bentley. I mean, you would, wouldn't you? For £175,000... God, blimey, you wouldn't see my little feet for dust. Hello, Jermaine. Gotta be your best friend. I'll take your Bentley off you. Anyway, he wants it back. He's obviously decided. Now they're not going... So it's obviously only a loan. She's about to stuck two fingers up and go, whistle for it, naff boy. Whistle for it. You're not getting it back. Which is great. Apparently he gave the pop beauty love gifts after the Geordie model Laura Brown said she'd slept with him. And uh, Alex is in no hurry to give them back as she claims he still has bundles of clothing that she left at his mansion. Oh, very tacky these relationships are. So in other words, so put it away. I mean, why don't you just keep the car, Alexandra? You know, stick two fingers. Say you can wear the clothes if you want to. You know, because I'm quite sure there's a lot of cross-dressing footballers out there. He, he he actually he actually reckons a ring and watch were thousands were love tokens. And she, but what are you bits more fool you you fool? What a silly but love token. Take it to court, Alexandra. Go on, take it to court. I'll back you. I'll back you. You should absolutely listen. If you go out with some bloke or some woman and they buy you a gift, that's a gift. Okay, it means you keep it. There's not a little note that comes with it saying, "In the event of a splitting up, I want it back." Not like a house, is it? I remember sharing a mortgage with somebody some years ago. Big mistake. Never do it unless you're actually married to somebody. It's not worth it, I promise you. And um, to cut a long story short, we had to. I ended up keeping the house, but I have to pay them off, which becomes very, very expensive because a house is a little bit different than buying somebody a ring or a, or a, he just says love tokens. I mean, why don't you just buy her a meal then if you wanted a love token? I mean, what do you think? This isn't you know some hooker you're talking to here, Jermaine. It's you know you've actually bought somebody a gift because you're in love with them. You can't ask for it back. Makes you look like a bit of a girl, doesn't it? Really, give me my things back. Give me my Bentley back. No, fight for it in court. Fight for it in court. I love things like that. I love stories like that. They kind of get me going. Oh look, here's Mark Wright. We had to mention him yesterday. I'm afraid on the free podcast. I'm sorry to mention him. Two days running, but he he's out in. Um, Hollywood, it's called Mark Wright's Hollywood Nights. Now, I don't know if you've been to Hollywood, full of prostitutes. The whole of Hollywood is red light. It is outside Grauman's Chinese Theatre. The place is filthy. It's fabulous. But at night time, it's sleazeball town, let me tell you. It really is. Hookers on every street corner, drug addicts in the daytime. And they think that they're taking him over. He's wearing the kind of thing you'd probably wear at South End but you wouldn't wear it anywhere else. He's got a little man bag round his shoulder, a little bit of a gay thing going on there, you know, and um, 
And they've actually given him, as well, a little Winnebago to drive... So, not so much Hollywood Nights as sort of like Chav Central, I'm afraid. I mean, really, naff. Is that the best they can do for you, Mark? The programme's obviously on a budget, mate. Because it's not even a big Winnebago. It's really, it's a really small Winnebago. It's the... It, it looks like a transit van with a room stuck on the back. It's that naff, I'm afraid. Quarter past four. LBC 97.3. LBC 97.3. London's biggest conversation with Steve Allen. Tuesday morning in London town. It's get your shorts out time. Shorts and, you know, T-shirts and a bit of sun cream because it's going to be 24 degrees today. So if you want to know what that is in proper money, double it and add 30. So 48, 78 degrees. It's not bad, is it? 78, we can cope with 78 degrees. Might get the legs out later on. Shan't be walking anywhere, but I'm, you know, at home it's okay. I love the story of the lawyer who brought an Asian sex gang to justice now wants to target forced marriages among gypsies. I think he means travellers. Because there is a there is a complete difference between gypsies. We have to point this out to people all the time. That gypsies, as you see on the programme on the television, they aren't gypsies, they're travellers. OK, they've just aligned themselves with the gypsy community. The gypsy community don't want anything to do with them. No, they're travellers, they're different. Anyway, travellers are the last bastion of sexual taboos, says Nazir Afzal, who's chief crown prosecutor of the North West. Mr Avzal, whose drive to tackle Muslim men grooming white girls in Rochdale led to nine perverts being jailed earlier this month, claims there are many forced marriages among travellers. He said there are some communities where we have feared to tread. I've become aware of massive issues of forced marriages in the traveller community. It is widespread. But his claim has angered travellers. Marie O'Reilly, who lives with her family at a site in Preston, said it's damaging our whole community. It's unbelievable. Marie, let me just point this out to you, just in case you've not been aware. The thing that is damaging the traveller community are the thieves within it. Every time we see my big fat gypsy wedding, we have men whose faces are pixelated because they're thieves. They're either being collected from prison or being taken to prison. In fact, we had the picture the other day in the Daily Star of a 16-year-old girl. I mean, God knows at 16 you can barely make your own mind up over anything at all. But she's getting married to this traveller who's currently on bail, waiting sentencing for handling stolen goods. That, Marie, is what's damaging your community. The thieves within it, as you well know. We don't need to point it out to you. We don't need to pussyfoot around it. We just need to point out the patently obvious. And that's the only thing that's damaging it. You want to change people's perception? You better start bucking your trend and bucking your ideas up, Poppet. You really should do, because at the moment you're just a little bit blinkered. And it, it doesn't really help at all. You know, if you're honest with yourself, and you know, and we all know as well, because that's what we see on the programme, isn't it? We see people, we see this, uh, what do they call it when they, when they grope girls from behind and inappropriately touch them? In, in the normal world, Marie, we call it rape. Apparently, you know, in the community it's called grabbing. And apparently this is acceptable behaviour. It certainly is not. It certainly is not. Uh, here we go again. Oh, Little Mix is still... I can't believe they're still going. I can't believe Little Mix is still going. It's a little bit worrying. Oh, they've launched a limited edition M&M. That's, that's the best that they can get. They can't get anything in the, uh, in the music industry going. So they've launched M&Ms. Haven't we got a big place over here which is devoted to M&Ms? M&M World. It's a bit sad. Uh, sorry, whole, a whole shop devoted to sweets. Couldn't quite get get to grips with it at all, I'm afraid. It's London. I mean, you know, the whole idea of sweets are bad for you. Don't eat sweets. I got stopped the other day by a lady in Twickenham, who I know. And she runs a nursery for children 
quite clearly. You know, sometimes you can have nurseries for adults. I had to point that out in case you weren't aware of it. But there are nurseries for adults as well. They're called babies, baby sort of nurseries, but they're adult babies. And anyway, she looks after young children for women who go out to work. Very shortly, because there is an influx of children all over the place who need looking after, the government and local councils are going to relax the rules. And what they're going to do is they're going to make it easy for just about anybody, and I mean anybody, to set up as a childminder. At the moment, they're registered. At the moment, they have to be licensed, their premises have to be checked. But uh, if this comes in, which uh, at the moment they're actually talking about, and it, it, it might... It's going to open the floodgates for a lot of people putting their children with somebody who is unregistered, unchecked. They'll have had no police check or anything like that. They'll just be able to open up with a sign on the door saying, you know, leave your children here for the day. Give us 20 quid a day or whatever it happens to be. And she was worried that the standards will drop and there will be cases which put children in jeopardy. And she's absolutely right. Parents now, and I know it's not cheap. Because a friend of mine, I used to have a producer, and she used to have to put her son into into daycare. And it was blooming expensive, but he was in there from eight in the morning till about four in the afternoon. That's a long time. I mean, I, I, to be honest with you, I cannot remember what she paid. Whatever it was, it seemed like a small fortune. A small fortune. And I see parents looking at places, and some entrepreneur, like people who open up, you know, um, care homes... You tend to find that people open up care homes because there's so much money in it. There's so much money. And, you know, £700 a week is not unusual for a care home. It really isn't. So these people have, you know, they buy these big old houses, have them all done up, and it's a care home. We had a big one on Twickenham Green. It's just been opened up now, or it will be very shortly, as retirement homes. That's roughly the same kind of thing. They've done it very well. It, it does. I mean, compared to the last thing that was there, this one looks stunning. It really does look very, very good indeed. But again, it will have a matron or somebody on site, but there'll be individual little flats and then probably a common room, I should imagine. That's how I thought it was going to be. That's how I thought it was going to be. But it's very expensive. It's not cheap. And that's why mums will then go, right, well, so wait a minute. So it's £40, say, a week here. But this one's doing it for £20 because people will undercut, but they won't have been checked. And her worry is... You know, that there's going to be lots of unscrupulous people who are just going to be setting up just to make a quick buck. They couldn't care less about the children. They're only interested in the money. Where some people are actually interested in the children. And so she said, how do we get sort of publicity for this? And I said, well, you go to the farmer's market on a Saturday, set up a table there in the car park. I don't know if you have to check with the council whether you can do that. And then hand out leaflets so that mums are aware that they should only go to places. But you're going to get all these other mums coming in, aren't you? And they've got kids and they just want to dump them on it. They couldn't care less what it costs. The cheaper, the better. And that's why it's terribly dangerous. And some families now are being denied access to free nursery education unless they agree to pay compulsory top-up fees for extra hours. The PAC, which is the Public Accounts Committee, has now raised concerns that some families are being told they're eligible only if they pay for additional hours. You know, I mean, and these, these practices risk excluding poorer families from nurseries because they can't afford to go. We were coming back the other day. It's a, it's a dreadful, you know, indication of just how we sum people up. But there was two people who walked out the council offices yesterday. A young girl and, uh, and a young lad. And um, to be honest with you, you knew they were on benefits. They didn't have to say anything at all. You just knew. She didn't have a coat. She didn't have a handbag or anything like that. She'd made no effort. He had a, the, you know, the permanent fag going, trousers halfway down his bottom. 
and you knew damn well that they were in there to collect benefits. They weren't in there for any other reason. They certainly didn't look like they were working, put it that way. And I said, I was talking to my friend Greg, we'd just come back from this walk, and I said, you know, if I was Prime Minister, I'd axe this benefit culture in this country. I said, what do you mean you're 23 and you're not working? <laughs> you are now, pal. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, you got yourself pregnant. What's your problem, isn't it? Go back to your parents. Let your parents pay for it. You know, they were stupid enough to bring a child into the world and didn't explain about sex education. Let them pay. Let them pay. All these kids who hang around on the street, they're not working. I come through London in the early hours of the morning. Clubs are turning out. Admittedly, there is a club just by the Ritz. Well, practically every week the police are called. Can't be long before they lose their licence. It's just a disgrace with uh, cheap, tarty girls running across the road, men pursuing them. I mean, it's, it's really quite... It makes grabbing look almost normal, I'm afraid. And uh, you've got that going on. You think, do these people not work? How many of you, put your hands up, can actually afford to go out during the week? No, you go out Friday and Saturday. You don't go out during the week. Nobody does that because you've got jobs. These people obviously don't have jobs. And that's why we've got this sort of benefit culture. It's in Spain. We send benefits out to Spain. So the people who've lied through their teeth. There's another woman in the paper today. She was voted Mum of the Year because her husband died. She's looking after the kids. She's a benefit fraudster. She's been claiming benefit for the last two years. I've only just found out. In the paper every day we can go through this, can't we? This, this, this benefit culture. People who don't do anything at all for a living. People who don't contribute to the neighbourhood. They're just little girls' blouses. Give me money, give me money. No, no, no. I'd stop it immediately. I'd take great delight in sitting behind that bulletproof glass in the social services or whatever it is going, sorry? Benefit? No, no more benefits today. No, it's finished. Benefit finished last week. Sorry, we don't have any more benefit. How am I supposed to live? We have to go out and get a job. I can't get a job. I'm bipolar. Well, you better find something then, hadn't you? Must be something you can do. There's something everybody can do. It doesn't matter whether you're disabled. It doesn't matter. It makes no difference. Whatever sort of disability you've got, there is a job for you somewhere. There's something that you can do. You know, and these people go, oh, I can't work. Why? Oh, bad back. Well, find something where you can do it sitting down. You know, use your imagination. Don't be a thicko all your life, for God's sake. Very embarrassing. 84850, uk. Steve, it's obviously footballers are really stupid. They even have to have children hold their hands and lead them out onto the pitch. I know, have you seen that? They don't know where the pitch is. Uh, we, we, we're going to the pitch. Sorry? Going to the pitch. We're going to go and play on a piece of... Gra- oh, where, where, where's that? Get, get the kids. Get the kids. Lead them out. Come on, kids. Show, show, show the tall men with loads of money and not much brain where the pitch is. Thank you, Len. I like that one. I like that one a lot. It's my kind of place. We're going to talk about um, a, a, a new dating agency. It's not really a new dating agency. It's for sad, desperately lonely women to re- meet a sugar daddy. It's borderline prostitution because they both pay to be there. The women pay £40, the men pay £80 and they link them up. What sort of girl would want to go to a place like that? Even one of the girls said, it is a little bit like prostitution. Because what they're looking for is men to pay for them. Men to buy, you know, meals and jewellery. That's called prostitution. Prostitution doesn't necessarily involve sex. Don't, you know, if, if you prostitute yourself, that's an act of sort of giving of yourself for money. It doesn't mean sex. So don't, don't ever get the wrong idea. What it means is that you've sold a service for money. You know, if, if you want to sit with me, money. That's where you get all the bars in Thailand, a lot of the bars in, in certain areas... You know, if a girl comes and sits with you, move like so fast. Because that's their, their big swindle with all the tourists. And the police support them. If you sit with a girl and she goes, I just want to be your friend. 
She does, but you're paying for her time. The moment she sat down and orders some fizzy drink, you're paying for it. So the advice is, don't ever sit down in a bar and let a girl come and sit next to you. Because the moment they sit down, and sometimes they're not girls, get my drift? Sometimes they are boys dressed as girls, okay? And a lot of men, when they've had a few drinks, can't tell the difference at all. They really can't. It was said a short while ago, they did a survey of the prostitutes in London's Mayfair. 80% of them, 80% were sex changes. And the men never realised. Isn't that sweet? What a lovely thought to think of. You know, suddenly discover you're dating a big butch airy trucker, you know, without even realising it. So just be warned. Just be warned. 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk or 08456060973. Plus, I'd love to talk to some ladies this morning about cosmetics. How much do you spend on face cream? This is after Victoria Beckham has now started shoving all this gunk on her face because, quite clearly, she's so insecure. And you can't, but one of the columnists said she can't be this insecure that she thinks Davy's going to up and leave her because she's starting to look old. She's only mid 30s. Only mid 30s. But she's putting, I think, sheep's placenta on her face with a bit of gold leaf. Oh, yuck. It's LBC 97.3. It's 4 30. <laughs> How much money do you spend, ladies, on face cream? I know it's big business, and I know that it has been said that for a pot of Pond's cream, which is about 10, 15 quid, you know, that is as good as putting cream of £200 on your face. So they say. But it makes you feel better. Makes you feel when you buy some Estee Lauder cream that there's a lot more work gone into it than the Pond's cream. You know, Pond doesn't sound too exciting, does it? Pond. Just think of the word Pond. But then, So they had to change the image. So all of a sudden, Pond's cold cream went to the Pond's Institute. And immediately it's got glass doors which swing open. And immediately, look, there's a lot of chemists inside there putting together Pond's cold cream, which apparently is just like stick in the bathroom. Start worrying, girls. OK? You know, because it generally means borderline. OK? Might be swinging his hips very, very shortly and carrying a man bag. You know, I'm not saying there's anything. Some people change it into a rucksack because it makes them look a bit butcher. But it is. It's still, it's still a handbag. Whichever way you look at it, it's just sort of a blokey kind of handbag. But they call it, it's a rucksack. Because ruck, rucksack says butch. Makes you feel very powerful as you walk down the street with your rucksack on. The fact that most gay men in London have rucksacks is neither here nor there. And you can buy them. And it's, and it's, and it's face cream as well, which is, which is quite gay, really, for a lot of men, I'm afraid, to use face cream. They can't help it. It's good for you. You know, when, you, when you've got the rigours of the day and of London to get through, the smog and the grime and the, uh, and the carbon emissions, you need to put something on your face at the end of the day. I mean, just do it when you get home. You know, you ladies have done it. I mean, some of you who are actually good and take your makeup off at night, but some people don't. Just get, just get a cotton thing and just a little bit of water and just wipe it over and it'll come off a different colour, I promise you. It's not your skin that's shedding and you are a, a sort of a, a lizard-like creature underneath. You know, it is, in fact, just dirt in the air. So you put all this face cream on, and in an effort to halt the ravages of time, and I will admit, I will admit that I have done the same. My bathroom is full of creams, because I am determined to halt the ravages of time. Because nobody, you know, you hate it when somebody says, you look your age, because you're not too sure what looking your age means. So people always say, I mean, somebody actually had the audacity, because it's Duncan's birthday today. I'm not at liberty to discuss how old he is, because that's a private thing between him and his computer. What, what he tells to, you know, to, to tell people on the, the internet is probably different from what the wife tells him. But, you know, and then and somebody actually had the audacity to say, oh, do you remember back when you were this particular age? And I said, you jeez, I haven't even reached it yet. You know, people assume, you know, that, you know, if you've been here since God created the earth, that you're fairly ancient. Which, of course, is not true. It's a state that said I asked them how old they were, and they came up with something. 
23 or something stupid like that. You know, as if anybody was ever going to believe it. The horrendous thing was they believed it. They've obviously, you know, instilled in themselves so much that I'm 23. I'm tw- I look 23. I'm 23. I look 23. I've got a, a, a handbag. Oh, sorry, rucksack. A butch rucksack. And I've got creams in it and things like that. And deodorant and look aftershave i've got all these nice things but i'm I'm 23 and i'm butch and uh, and so people start sort of worrying about it you know when you get to my age who cares who cares? you just don't want to be told by somebody how old you are so i've got these creams but how much would you spend victoria beckham spending between tw- uh, 250 and 350 pounds for this sheep's placenta but it's not just any old sheep new zealand sheep untouched by human hands Believe me, it's true. And it also comes with a bit of gold leaf. Because gold leaf, apparently, is very good for it. Well, you can go to any art shop and buy a book of gold leaf. I've got books of gold leaf at home. Makes me sound very rich. But there's... there's I mean, put it way, you, I think you can take an ounce of gold leaf and you can hammer it out and it will cover a football pitch. It can go that thin. So when you take it off, you've got to pick it up with a very fine camel hair brush... And it's, it's, it will just blow away. And you put it on, I've got some, some furniture... It sounds naff, doesn't it? Some furniture with, with gold leaf on. And you can have it. You go to some Indian restaurants and they put gold leaf in, in curries and stuff like that. So you can eat it. It's, I mean, it's so thin, this stuff. You can almost see through it, but it is gold leaf. And you can get it in... You've seen bottles of vodka with little bits of gold leaf in there. So she's having gold leaf applied to her face together with sheep's placenta. Now, if the story is true... And we have no idea whether it's true or not. You can't help feeling that she must be so desperately insecure now that she's worried. Unless she piles this stuff on her face. And I've seen Victoria. She doesn't have great skin. Victoria's got quite bad skin. But she covers it up very well. But I'm not sure whether using... I mean, how do, how do people get persuaded that spending 250 to 350 pounds on a pot of cream is good for you? I mean, is it is it the old adage, a fool and their money are soon parted, in which case I'm as guilty as the next person, or do we really believe that there's more work gone into it? I mean, I would hate to think that Pond's cream was the same as creme de la mer. I would, I would hate to think that, because Pond's cream is about, you know, 20 quid a pot. You know, you can really... It's like a bit like a Trixo. You can get a big dollop of cream for very little money, whereas creme de la mer, for a little pot, is £125. And for some of their bigger ones, it goes up to 400 But I'm not sure I could ever convince myself to spend 400 I buy Estee Lauder creams, but only because we used to do Estee Lauder programmes years ago, and I've, I feel I know the company, and I feel I, I can trust them. I like the packaging, I like the way everything looks, and it makes nice gifts for people. I sometimes see things and buy it. But you ladies will spend a fortune a fortune. They had a thing the other day. It, it, I went past Boots. I generally keep going because I use independent chemists because I'm a bit... I like the service better in independent chemists. And they got a thing. It, it's here. It's here. And I kept thinking, what's here? It's on all the windows. It's here. And so I go in trying to be casual, you know, looking around thinking, mm, it's here. Where is it? And it turns out to be a new cream. Now, Boots had this other cream. Notice results in seven days. Rubbish. Absolute rubbish. 20 quid. And what Boots have done is they've pitched their creams at the right market price. In other words, you ladies will spend £19.99 on a pot of cream, provided it looks nice because you think it's class. Whereas, in fact, the, the profit markup must be at least 500%. So what you're looking at is a cream that really only costs nine quid to make. Then the time you've taken off the packaging, you're probably looking at a £3 bit of cream 
which is made in vats, which is then put into little fancy bottles, and you're paying 20 quid for that. Because 20 quid is what you pay. If they, if they priced it at £60, you wouldn't pay for it, because it's boots. It's boots, you would think. Boots, 20 quid. You wouldn't think boots, £400. You'd go to a department store and spend a lot of money. And ladies spend more and more. It is a huge, huge industry. The face cream industry is huge. And they, and they start sort of bombarding you with all this information. It's got pentapeptides. And I used to think, what the hell are they? Pentapeptides. Is that going to make me look younger? Is that going to make me look more youthful? Is that going to, you know, sh- should I use a dermabrasive cream? I don't know. Should I use, I mean, I do use a facial scrub. But I've had to buy the butch one. Because, you know, that's because it's, it says something more about you and it's got sort of grains of, of granite in it and you rub it over your face and it takes off a layer of skin. You're supposed to exfoliate all the time because your, your skin, the skin that you're looking at at the moment, is dead. That's why it's there. And if you sort of put shine a bright light under your skin and rub your hand like that, you, you will get what, what looks like dandruff. That's your top layer of skin coming off. And so you're supposed to exfoliate every so often. But the trouble is, most bodies, you you take a vat to exfoliate. And so you sort of do little areas. And that's why people buy these scrubbing mittens and stuff like that in the bath. So you exfoliate. So when you get out of the bath, it's lovely. You know, your skin looks gorgeous. If you want your skin to look good anyway in the bath, just drop a little bit of oil in there. A little bit of baby oil. And that gives your skin that all-over glow. It's quite nice. I wouldn't recommend it for sunbathing or anything like that. But, I mean, it's, it's, you're supposed to look after your skin. Because you don't want... I was looking at Lionel Blair's skin the other day. And he's... And it, well, he's... He's, he's 80. Something. <laughs> 80. Something. And uh, although there's a picture, actually, I just... I got a picture the other day from my Lady Rattlings. And uh, one of the ladies in there, Joan, is 91. Well, she looks fantastic. Lionel, if he's 80-something, he looks amazing. And I was saying, I said, you're very lucky. He said, yeah, I've got hair. Hair, apparently, is the thing... I don't have much hair, but Lionel Blair has a full head of hair, and Barry Burnett's got a full head of hair, and his mum's got a full... Everybody's got full heads of hair. And I was beginning to think, would I want to do a Wayne Rooney and be that vain that I would sort of grow... And the answer is not really. Not really. I always look look at people who are blonde when they're young, and I always think, you're very lucky you've got lovely blonde hair, but it's going to fall out. Never find people with blonde hair making it all the way through. It just doesn't happen very often because blonde hair is weaker than dark hair. So you stand more of a chance with dark hair. The only problem if you've got dark hair, black hair, brown hair, anything like that, is you're going to show the grey bits a lot sooner. You know, 23, 24, 25 is when the grey starts coming through. And, uh, and then you have to start putting a bit of a rinse through. You know, it's not as butch as other people, but they, p- people do, do put, put rinses through. 84850, uk. Uh, so I'd love to know how much you're spending on this stuff. Are you one of these people who who doesn't who doesn't spend money on on creams and stuff like that, or are you one of those those people who who just can't resist it? You go out there and you just sort of you just sort of sit there and you look at the cream and you think I've got to have that. It's going to go on my dressing table. You know, sportsmen. You know, when they go, I mean, when, when I go to the gym. You know, I'm the same. I hang up my mankini, you know, which frightens generally people quite quickly. And, uh, you know, and I arrange all my, all my things. I've got my deodorant and I've got my shower gel and I've got the, uh, the other bottle of uh, shampoo. And, and it's quite nice, actually. Did anybody manage to get the elusive Asda salmon? The story yesterday was that Asda were doing the salmon from Alaska, frozen for £2. And a couple of people wrote to me and said they actually couldn't find out. Uh, I toddled up there and was told it had sold out five hours earlier. Well, somebody else said they went up to a supermarket and the manager said he didn't know anything about it. And uh, the story was uh, in the Daily Mail yesterday. 
So that's where we actually got it from. Couldn't agree more about benefits, Steve. They do have a place, but the hard-working people of the UK are paying for the lazy so-and-sos who can work but won't. One neighbour near me walks with a walking stick. However, two days ago, saw him sprinting not far from his flat. Yes, there's a lot of that. A friend of mine lives very near a doctor's surgery. He said people pull up in their cars, get out, put, and then, and then stick, stick the disabled sticker and then run up the road to the surgery, pick up the stuff and then come back again. He said it is absolutely amazing. If you picked up the Asda salmon yesterday, we'd love to know. 0845 6060 973. And how much are you paying for nursery care for the children? And would you go to a sugar daddy dating site? Perhaps it would be the equivalent for men. If there's a sugar daddy site, perhaps there'd be a sugar mummy site for men who sort of want to go there and pay £40 to meet sort of rich women. Cougars. Cougars. Because apparently it's quite... Apparently around our way, around Hounslow, it's quite a big business. With the airport hotels, a lot of men offer their services as gigolos. And, uh, and what they do is ladies fly into Heathrow and they book the services of a, of a masseuse or somebody like that. And then good-looking guys go around there and earn money. So there you go. Steve says, Gold help me, my age is always growing on my body. I used Pond's cold cream many years ago. I was young. Now it clots. Yes, Pond. Somebody said to me, if you use just any sort of cream, it's apparently okay. But you must use something because your skin dries out. And as you get a bit older, as you know, skin does go a little bit little bit drier, so you need to put something back into it. You need to put the moisture back in. And you can't actually do it just by sort of showering. That isn't quite the same, I'm afraid. You have to literally use a a cream or something like that, so it's something that soaks into the skin. To be honest with you, the amount of stuff I put on my skin over the years, from shower gel and things like that, I mean, my skin must be, from the inside, must be a a veritable sort of, you know, you know when you get a a, a sort of this colour bar, and it goes, it almost looks like the, the Jurassic Silt site. Which would be quite funny, wouldn't it? I like the idea as well. It was on the front of the uh, the mail. And uh, I know Duncan was talking about it. And this is householders who regularly dump rubbish in their own garden will be guilty of a criminal offence and hit with a fine. This will apply to anybody uh, who leaves an old sofa or a fridge in their garden or has mountains of pizza boxes. See, the trouble is that people who've got the uh, the old sofas or the fridges, they don't leave them in their own garden. They shove them out on the road. And unless you know who it is... You know, how do you find out whose sofa that is? We had one in our car park that was dumped there about two years ago. When we ripped the backing off, it was full of maggots. There were maggots in the sofa. I don't know how on earth maggots got in the sofa, but they, they were there. So I like the idea, if your garden is a tip, if you do, because it, it tends to be certain people, doesn't it, who just throw everything. There's always an old sofa or a fridge. But what they're talking about here on the front of the Daily Mail, they're not council tenant. Why would you worry about it? Council come and collect it. But now they're actually saying they're going to fine you. Well, if you can't afford to have it taken away in the first place, where are they going to get the money for the fine from? You know, it's just just ludicrous. They need to think these things out properly. Don't just come up with these sort of great statements and expect it to work, because it won't. London's biggest conversation. LBC. This is London's biggest conversation with Steve Allen. Morning. A real man, Steve, would use sandpaper to exfoliate. He said, I personally only use Polycell Less Mess Paint Stripper. Sandpaper. I wonder if you could... You could probably use a very fine sandpaper. There is a very, 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 very fine one, which you used to use in metalwork, and it worked when you, when you put water on it. So that would work quite well, wouldn't it? I mean, let's face it, you're not exactly going to be drawing blood if you're using very fine sandpaper. Uh, Anne-Marie says, I've been a beautician for 32 years in a salon and on cruise ships. 
And um, I use Elemis. The men's items are fab too. Maybe try it. My mum used Astral all her life. Had beautiful skin. Oils depleted you age. Yes, Astral was that whipped cream. I remember it. It's a blue pot. I remember it very well indeed. There's not much about face creams I didn't know, seeing as we did uh, beauty programmes on LBC for years and years. Uh, face cream, body shop day cream, 10 quid, Vaseline, 99 pence, and pseudo cream for spots. The last two I used to use on my pony, says Helen, who's got sensitive skin. We've all got sensitive skin. Have you noticed everybody, they say, of course, you, you have oily skin, sensitive skin, dry skin. You know, and it's everybody's got some sort of skin. I love the story, though. Uh Luke in Brighton says, reface creams. If anti-wrinkle creams really work, how come you still have fingerprints? I know. You're right, exactly, because you put it on with your fingers. you think by now it would have worn them away and you'd have just smooth fingers. <laughs> That's worth thinking about, isn't it? I quite like that. I still laugh at the idea of footballers are so dumb they have to have children lead them out onto the pitch. Come along, you're playing out here. I like that one, actually. I think that's, that's, that's very good, actually. If you manage to get some of the... Uh, the elusive Asda salmon. Morel did go, but it sold out five hours earlier. See, the trouble is you've got to be in. You've got to be quick. got to be quick on this programme. You know, when we tell you about something, you've got to get out there fast. And uh, Lorraine and I had a laugh, says Neil. And now I've, I've heard of this before. He said last night, uh, Lorraine's sister, Lynn, bought us tickets for our 30th anniversary to see Warhorse. We both left work early, got on the tube to Covent Garden, to Maxwell's for a nice pre-show meal. Very nice. Off to the theatre. Find our seats, very comfy, fantastic view. What could be better? Couple walk past and then back again. Are you sure you're in the right seats, he says. The manager's called, he checks the tickets, they're both for the right seats. The only problem is, we're there a week early, he says. Lorraine got the dates wrong, but apparently it was still my fault, I should have checked them. How we laughed. Oh, embarrassing, embarrassing. Not the worst ever. You're at the theatre a, a week early. I'm so- well, they had to. You have to give up your seats. If you've got the wrong one on the ticket, they throw you out. They don't mess around in the theatres nowadays. Because you do get some of the... I tell you, I got really angry. I told you the other day, I got so angry, I nearly... I had to do it. Well, I nearly did, but I didn't do it. Just outside this window here, there's a thing, a little rotunda thing. It's next to where, where the toilets used to be, but they closed a long time ago, but they're probably still under the ground somewhere. It's a little round thing, and it's got half-price theatre tickets. And people think it's the Leicester Square half-price ticket booth. It ain't. The only half-price ticket booth is off the front of the Hampshire Hotel, directly opposite our front door. That's the only legal half-price ticket booth in Leicester Square approved by the Society of West End Theatre. Anything else, they're touts. They're selling touted... They're all over the place. And they think if they... Because if you go to a city and somebody says, you need to go to the half-price ticket booth in Leicester Square, and you come here and it says half-price tickets, and there's one at the back that says half-price... You think half-price tickets, Leicester Square? I see people queuing. You're buying rubbish seats. Genuine seats, genuine proper seats, are only sold by the official booth. I just thought I'd mention it. Christine. Good morning. Morning. And? Yes, I can hear you. Oh, well done, you. Like First time I'm pointing your show, I listen to your show every morning. I think so, too. There's nothing else on. And I took your advice. I went down to Asda. Good. Yeah, I got there at 8.30. Yes. And there was no salmon. No salmon. They said they didn't even have a delivery. They hadn't even had a delivery. And that was at Park Royal. Which is quite big, Park Royal, isn't it? Yes, it is. Very big. Yeah, I've been Park Royal before. And they said, did you speak to a manager? I spoke to the lady that worked near the counter. Yeah. And she rather jokingly said, if you give me your number, I'll call you and let you know when it's being delivered. 
Outrageous. Outrageous. Um, so you didn't buy anything? Well, I just bought all my cake decorating and stuff, so I've got to oh. make a cake for me aunt. It's her birthday. She's going to be 75 in a few weeks' time. Oh, that's all right. cake stuff instead. There you go. You see, you, you bought cake stuff, but you didn't get the fish. I think it's very naughty, actually, of Asda. Very naughty. Because if if you fed out something as a news item and you put out a press release and the papers have picked up on it, the least you can do is make sure it's in the stores. And the least you can do is make sure that you tell the management. Because there's nothing like head office doing one thing and the uh, and the store people going, don't know what you're talking about. Don't know what you're talking about. I mean, I found it very frustrating. Thank you for that, Christine. I found it very frustrating two years ago, not last year, the year before, trying to find the Heston Blumenthal Christmas puddings. And you say, have you only got any Heston Christmas? And, of course, you didn't like to ask in case people then went, you got them, you got them. And people buying loads of them. And so uh, that I was very annoyed about. Very, very annoyed about. But, uh, you know, upsetting customers. Because, you know, if I put something out that appears in the paper in good faith and then people turn up and people look at them blankly and go, no, I don't know what you're talking about, they should know. That's the whole idea of having management in stores. You call all the staff together and you go, listen, there's an item that's appeared in the Daily Mail today about the salmon. We don't have them in just yet. We'll have them in shortly. Well, then don't put it out as a press release. That's what's annoying, because some people made a, made a trip down. And I'd be feeling very aggrieved, too. Anybody in management in Asda is listening. A little bit naughty. You know, at least tell people in the stores. Do you have them? You know, as opposed to people going in and people, I don't know what they're talking about. Not the kind of thing. Uh, Jason says, it's easy. If a person is fined for throwing out their sofa and they can't pay the fine, we take the new sofa. Yes, you see, that would be... You see, leave the old one in the garden and say we're coming in to, to, to re- repossess the new one. I never quite understand, though. Can somebody explain to me? They probably can't, actually. You know, because the, the person who would do it probably doesn't understand the question. But why somebody would throw an old sofa out in your back garden? Or your front garden? I've seen it before. I've seen cars up on bricks in people's driveway. And you think, I'm so glad I don't live next door to them. At the moment, we've all gone plant mad at home. So my neighbours, two of them, either uh, practically either side, they're both Polish girls who've married English boys. Well, one of them, she's not married. Lulu's not married to David, but it's probably imminent. And they love plants. And so we've all got loads of plants up. My next-door neighbours have gone mental. Mental! And they put all these beautiful, I don't know what they are, but they're lovely, bright colours. And they've left them in the pots. You don't even need to repot them. Just put them out there and water them. They look stunning. Instant colour. They must have come back. It must have been two journeys with all these beautiful, brightly coloured bushes, and they put them out there. And it, it just looks fantastic. So I was watering yesterday. Because if it's going to get to 24 degrees today, we're all going to suffer. Glenis in Dartford said, Never use cream or soap and water, and I'm the same age as you, Steve, 21, and my skin is fine. Now, somebody says to me, and Glynis has raised a very interesting point, all the experts that I ever spoke to have said, don't ever use soap on your face. And the reason is that soap is extremely drying. You will end up with lots of really bad, uh, bad skin. So, uh, d- sorry, I'm just looking at the red carpet with Pete Doherty on it. What's Pete Doherty? Perhaps it isn't Pete Doherty. He's in a film, is he? God in heaven. Perhaps they'll put anybody in films nowadays. But unfortunately, the biggest faux pas of Cannes was sending over Cheryl Cole, I'm afraid. Everybody's saying, you know, with all the experts around you at L'Oreal and you still end up looking like a turkey in that dress, that really was big faux pas. But I mean, what's she supposed to? Look at the state of him. God, he's a bad state, isn't he, poor soul? 
Never mind, poor old Pete Doherty. What world is he in, ladies and gentlemen? No idea. So, the, the thing is, don't ever use soap on your face. Because it's very bad for you. It dries out your skin. Not even, well, moisturiser. So, but really you shouldn't. The best thing for your face is a hot flannel, wrung out and then put over, so it makes like um, a, a mask, and you steam. So it opens your pores up. You don't really want to put anything on. You could put a moisturiser on, but I wouldn't even use a moisturising soap like Dove or anything like that. And yet years ago we grew up with soap. People had good old-fashioned soap and water. For your hands, yes, but not on your face. Not on. It's like people as well, men, have a shave and then put aftershave on. Well, how stupid is that? That's why people go, ha, ha, ha. Because you've just, you've just broken open the skin to rip out all the hairs with your razor, and then you're putting alcohol on. No, 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 no. The way to put aftershave on is the way ladies put perfume on. You either dab, a little bit behind the ears, or your pressure points, where it's going to get slightly warm, or failing that, you spray it into the air and walk through it like a mist, and you do the same for aftershave. can't believe we have to explain this to people in this day and age, but that's, that's how it works. And it works very well. Uh, Jan says, I take my makeup off every night with cream. In the morning, I wash my face with cold water and put the cream on again. I've been doing it since I was 14. I've never smoked, which does help. I've been told I don't look my age. This wonder cream, Nivea. £4.49. Yes, cold water, very, very good. And uh, if you've never smoked, that's very good indeed. Because smoking, as you know, is, is, a, is very much a, an ageing thing. I can always tell people that smoke. You know, in, in fact, uh, strange, Lionel still smokes. But it doesn't seem to have done him any harm. I mean, if he's got to that age, for goodness sake, it's not bad, is it? But uh, I, I said I stopped it like that. I said I did, I did stop. And do you remember, I told you two years ago, I went um, to the Lady Rattlings, and they give money to various charities, and they had a young man there called Jack. Jack, I think his name was. And Jack was a soldier who'd come back from Afghanistan, and he'd lost his legs. They, they, they'd taken his legs away. And uh, he was in a chair. Now, I, I might have got it wrong because my memory is fading after two years. But um, he was only young. He's, he, I mean, he literally, he's about 23, something like that. 23, 24. He'd either lost both legs or one of them. And I can't remember. He might have lost both. And um, he was looking forward to getting his, uh, his mobility car. He wanted a BMW, but they wouldn't give him a BMW because he'd never get the insurance. But uh, he was going to get this other car. And I met his mum the other day, and she said, thank you so much for mentioning him, uh, because somebody sent her a recording of me doing it. I said, well, he made me cry. I said, because, you know, you think, you know, everything he's been through, and there are hundreds and thousands of these soldiers out there, you know, not just from the, you know, the war in Afghanistan, but from previously, people who've lost limbs and everything else, and you see them getting around, and you think, there but for the grace of God go I. She said, the funny thing was, she said, he was so ill later on that day. She said, because he was drinking red wine. She said, and he doesn't really drink red wine. And so he was sick all over the place, poor soul. I said, well, send him our love, because a uh, very special person. Uh, 84850, uk. So uh, we're trying to find out uh, if this morning you would welcome the idea that the next-door neighbour, because it can't be you doing it, can it, will be fined £100 if their garden is a tip, if they've thrown the, the washing machine out. If they, I mean, I, whenever I do that, I phone up the council. You can do it online. You check on there, and they say it's an item, and it's 25 quid. You put it in a place. I mean, sometimes I put stuff out, and people have nicked it. If you actually put out, I promise you, a washing machine, buy your bins with working, somebody will pinch it. 
They will. I mean, you, you could clear a house quite easily. We threw loads of stuff at You just put working on it, and somebody will take it because it's, it's useful to somebody. But uh, the idea of people having their gardens cleaned up, I quite like the idea of £100 fine, whether they pay it, is neither here nor there. The Sugar Daddy dating site. And how much do you pay for nursery care for the little ones? If the government bring in these new rules, anybody, and I mean anybody, can open up a nursery. And that's when the whole system falls apart. So how much are you paying? Is it stretching you? 0845 6060 973. It's LBC 97.3. Steve Allen, till 6.30. On FM, Steve Allen. Morning, four minutes past uh, five. I have a problem with creams, says Paul the plumber. Once rubbed barrier cream on my face in the dark so as not to wake up the missus. And, um, unfortunately it turned out to be Anusol. I know. <laughs> I could tell you another funny story about that, but uh, I shall save it for another, uh, another time. Thank you. Paul in Highgate says, I swim every day. Is chlorine bad for my skin? It is if it stings. In fact, normally if, if, if chlorine stings your face or stings your eyes, it's too strong. It's too strong. Sometimes swimming pools put a lot in, because a lot of very grubby people go to swimming pools. And to be honest with you, why would you want to swim in a giant bath that a load of other people have swam in? I can never quite understand it. I mean, it's bad enough in the sea, without me to worry about uh, swimming pools. 84850, steve at I'll tell you what the weather is in a, in a moment, just to, in case you have just woken up and you're secretly hoping I can give you some good news. It's going to be misty and overcast to start with, but you know from bitter experience, that if it's misty and overcast to start with, uh, it will burn away and you will end up with sunshine. It'll feel very warm. The high, we've pushed it up for you today, 25 degrees centigrade. Currently it's 8. Tonight the cloud will return. It'll remain dry and clear elsewhere. Uh, Minimum overnight, 11 degrees. Tomorrow, warm with sunny spells once any early mist clears. Isolated heavy showers could develop uh, in the west, the high 25 degrees tomorrow. Thursday... Dry and warm, long sunny periods. Friday, dry, sunny and windy, but feeling fresher. Blimey, it's not a bad week at all this week. I'd make the most... And don't you wish you'd gone sick this week? Can't do it now, can you? You've left it too late. Because it's Tuesday, you can't throw... <coughs> don't feel very well. <coughs> Bit of a cough going on there. You can't do that now, because they're going to go, ah! I've been listening to Steve Allen on the radio. He said you can't do it now. Uh, 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk or 0845 uh, 973. Uh, Joyce says, I got a salmon yesterday from the uh, Chandler's Ford branch, Chandler's Ford branch in Southampton. So they did exist. Hallelujah for that. There's a dreadful feeling we weren't going to find any of these blooming salmon, but uh, we did find one. Woo! That was very lucky, wasn't it? Very, very lucky. Do you remember we actually spoke to the uh, a lady on the programme the other day, and she was going off to see the uh, to the cinema, because apparently on a Wednesday you can go to the cinema where she was, and for £2.50, get to see the film and have a cup of tea and a biscuit. And then she phoned us the next day and said she had a marvellous time, which is very good. Um, there is a lady who's in the papers today, and her name is uh, Anita Atkinson. She lives in Stanhope, uh, County Durham, and she's got a tea room, which she calls Royal Tea. Now, she's in the papers today because at three o'clock every day she plays the national anthem and she expects people to stand up in, in you know, which, which you should do as, as a mark of respect. She threw two women out the other day because they didn't stand up when she played the national anthem. And the papers are trying to find the women that she threw out. So, so she's got this little tea shop 
And they, they run a little film and they play the national anthem and everybody stands up. Mark of respect, which you do. You know, the royal family walk into a room, you stand up. It's not in deference, it's just called respect. You know, because they're a higher family than you are, wherever you come from. And you just do it, it's just called polite. So anyway, God save the Queen plate. These, these people don't, don't stand up at all. So she kicks them out. Out! Get out of my tea shop! And I'd love to know, do people bother standing anymore? Thank you, Paul. Do people bother standing anymore for the Royal, for the royal National Anthem? We used to at the end of the cinema, but if, 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 if you went to see, you know, a, a big cinema film in the West End, uh, and at the end of the film, people are trying to get out quickly before the National Anthem, because you had to stand there and wait for the National Anthem. And it was, it was God's sake. And they used to do it at the end of the television. Television used to shut down at midnight, to be honest with you. Some of the rubbish they put overnight on televisions now, you might as well close it down. Small wonder radio just wipes the board with people. You know, endless roulette wheels on the television. I mean, luckily, if you've got Freeview channels, you're OK. But if you've got sort of, you know, roulette wheels coming at you every which way but, you kind of lose the will to live. I mean, they are a bit dull. They're just designed to part people from their money. A bit like fruit machines in betting shops, I suppose. But uh, I wonder, really, would you stand for the National Anthem? Do you think that's, that's disrespectful if somebody doesn't stand? Or do you think, that's just the, the times we're in? 0845 6060 973. It's the times we're in now that people just don't bother standing for the National Nobody cares. Nobody cares. But she has got a tea shop, and it is, it's, it's a royal tea shop. She likes it, and she's sort, of, uh, she's sort of very happy with it. But she just doesn't like the idea that somebody won't stand when they play the National Anthem. I mean, she does it all the time. 0845 6060 Are we not patriotic anymore? Do we not care about the royal family? Do we not care about being respectful? I thought we did. I hope we do. Otherwise, I see it as a, a real sort of decline, I'm afraid. I'm not saying that every time you go out and they play the National Anthem. It's like, it's like whenever you see um, you know, a hearse going past, you know, out of respect, you generally stop for a moment. I'm not saying you have to incline your head or do anything like that. But when all the, uh, the boys were coming back from Afghanistan in their coffins at Wooden Bassett, people stood there and, as a mark of respect, they bowed their heads because that's what you do. That's what you do. I'm not saying every time you hear the national anthem you've got to stand up, you know, and uh, and be respectful, because there's certainly some places you could do it, some places you couldn't. When we had a thing a short while ago, when we do the 11th hour of the 11th day, the 11th, you know, that one, well, I could look out my window and see cars whizzing about all over, but nobody stops. There's a few people will actually stand by, by the side of the, uh, of the road, you know, and, and they will show a respect to the war dead. I mean, I used to get, you know, I also, over the years, have worked in places. The producer used to work in a shop and used to get really annoyed with customers that didn't stop talking. You'd go, excuse me, we're doing a two-minute silence here. And then they go, oh, sorry. You have to remind people, don't you? It's a bit embarrassing to have to say to them, listen, I'm so terribly sorry, I know that you really don't care that somebody laid down their life for you, but, you know, it's only two minutes out of your day. Can you spare that, do you think? Some bit really... I'd, I'd get very angry, I'm afraid. <laughs> very angry. I'd change all the lights to red. So I'd, I'd just push a button and all the traffic lights go to red. Everybody stops and you sit there for two minutes and you wait. Mind you, do that round here in the morning anyway. It makes no difference. You hit, hit red traffic lights round here. You think you're waiting for tourists at three in the morning. We're not really. We're not really. We don't, we don't care about tourists. Uh, 84850. And uh, 
This one here, Ian says, you talk about the brave soldier who lost his legs in the service. Can I recommend a download music video on iTunes called We Are the Brits by Anton Lorian? Money goes to the charity Afghan Heroes. Actually, I sent out something on Twitter yesterday. I don't know if you got my, my Twitter. It's when we did our last magic show at the Magic Circle. Uh, no, not the last one. Was it the last one or the one before? The last charity show that we did. We had an act on called Piff the Magic Dragon. And Piff is John Vanderput, and he's worked very hard at this act over the years. So he dresses up as a dragon, he's got his little dog, and he does a card trick, and he does, he does various things, but it's, it's very funny. And, and he breathes fire, and he does everything else. Imagine our surprise the other day, when somebody phones me and goes, have you seen Russia's Got Talent? And I go, no. So they send me a link, and it's on my, my Twitter page. It's a bloke who comes on, on Russia's Got Talent, wearing the identical costume and doing Piff the Magic Dragon's act. From start to finish, he has blatantly thieved somebody's entire act. I've never seen anything like it in my life. Sometimes people pinch things. It's like whenever you see that uh, Darnell and Daniel, the, um, the quick change artists, they've nicked that from loads of other quick change art. There's a limit to what, what you can do with quick change, I realise. But most of it is, is nicked from other people. But this Piff the Magic Dragon act in Russia's Got Talent, I defy you to spot the difference. He comes on, he does the same lines, he does everything. He's had the outfit made identically. And at the very end of it, luckily, the woman on the panel goes, you've just stolen somebody's act. This is an act that works. In fact, I think Penn and Teller voted in one of their favourite acts. John will go to Vegas. I'm pretty certain he's going, or he's been to Vegas. And this bloke has just blatantly nicked it. And I couldn't, I mean, you know, you see, I mean, I can't imagine or even think, you know, how it would be in anything else, how you would ever pinch somebody's act completely. From not only the outfit, but he was caught out by by the judge. She said at the end, you've, you've stolen somebody's act in Russian. You've stolen somebody. And you don't argue with him in Russia. <laughs> Definitely don't argue. I tell you, you <laughs> You heard what happened the other day to Princess Michael's good friend, dragged out of his car and shot. They still have assassins, you know. And for nicking somebody's out, I couldn't believe the audacity of the bloke doing the same card trick, doing exactly the same, except he had a guinea pig. And the woman said, the only difference is you have a guinea pig and he's got a dog, but you've stolen his act. <sighs> I'll tell you, I'll be round there straight away with the boys. No hanging around at all. It's a dreadful thing to do. But it was on my, my Twitter yesterday. And the only reason I mention it is because John, as Piff did our show last time at the Magic Circle. And, uh, and then Penn and Teller voted him their favourite magician. Loads of people we've had on the, on the stage have, uh, have gone on to, uh, to do better things. The, the ones that we've had at our charity shows have gone on to be quite successful, you know, really. And we have another show coming up on the 30th of next month at the Magic Circle again. And we've got some really good magicians for you. Go to steveallenshow.com for details. Talisa flew off the handle the other day. You know Talisa's a bit foul-mouthed. She's a bit potty mouth, I'm afraid. And for that, she... Anyway, so she, she's at the airport with her, um, her, her PA, called Vary. Uh, her PA, Vary, I don't know, you know, can't wear jeans properly, so they're halfway down his bottom. And she can't apparently walk through the airport by herself because she's not old enough. And she discovers a picture of herself in a, in a magazine, in WH Smith, and, um, and she swears. And so a customer says to her, excuse me, can you not swear, not knowing who she is, because let's face it, she's instantly forgettable, unless you've seen her, her little film she made with a former boyfriend, in which case she's still instantly forgettable. And, um, and so she starts swearing. 
And her, this this bloke goes, don't you know who this is? I, go, I don't really care who it is. Don't swear, please. We don't need that kind of thing. And so then there was an argument that goes on. She's quite clearly just not very nice. Jaleesa, grow up for God's sake. You're not very bright. Don't be stupid as well. News headlines with Sam Pittis. Thank you, Steve. 20... 18 minutes past five. Morning. Uh, Val says, I got my salmon yesterday at uh, the Asda at Newport in South Wales. Fantastic. Just the one salmon. We got so worried, didn't we? we? We found these salmon yesterday. The report appeared in the Daily Mail and they were £2. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> I'm so excited about the fact they were two pounds. Uh, Alaskan salmon, frozen, two pounds. The same salmon elsewhere, £25, £32, I think, in Waitrose, two pounds. They said they were doing it, or all the experts said they were doing it as a lost leader. I couldn't care less. I couldn't care less. Um, you know, as far as I'm concerned, it's a two-pound salmon. That, that's the difference between eating and starving and salmon, good. Furniture and fridges, Steve. And the front garden? Back in the house. I agree with you. Uh, thank you, says Morel, for the location of the genuine half-price ticket booth. Very helpful. Yes, don't go to any of the places surrounding Leicester Square. It's literally opposite our front door, opposite the front door of the uh, of the hotel, the Hampshire. That's the genuine half-price ticket booth as approved by the Society of West End Theatre. The others are not. Okay, so uh, only go. But you, I mean, say, barring standing out that side there with a, a big sign saying "This way to the genuine one," as opposed to these people round here, you know. <laughs> It's the difference between sort of eating and not eating, I suppose. Uh, Jan says, I put an old sideboard out last week with a note saying, help yourself, it had gone within half an hour. Yes, I mean, I'm I'm a firm believer in the fact that if you put furniture out and you don't want to pay because you can't afford, stick it there. If it's it's something reasonable looking, somebody will take it. We actually left outside, my my neighbour was throwing out patio table and chairs, metal, four chairs folding and a round table as well. And all they needed doing was somebody taking them, getting some hammerite and spraying them, and they'd look perfect. So we put them out. She said, oh, should should I call the council and pay to get them taken away? I said, somebody will take them. She said, do you think so? I said, absolutely. I said, what we'll do, we'll actually put them in the entrance here with a sign saying to be thrown out. Ten minutes, they'd gone. We went inside, we picked up some posts, came outside, they'd gone. We looked up and down the road, couldn't see anybody. So, obviously, somebody had actually got them straight away. So, you know, if, if, if it's something... If nobody wants to sit on your old settee, let me tell you. Because the chances are you've thrown it out because it's really had its day. Uh, vote Greece to win Eurovision, Steve. Very cruel. You know that if they win, they'll have to stage it next year, and they're struggling at the moment. You don't want to add the, uh, the delights of Eurovision on top. I'm hoping it's going to be Britain that wins. I'm backing Britain. I'm backing Britain, I'm afraid. Uh, good on the tea shop owner, Steve. It's her tea shop. Let her throw them out for their lack of respect. This is the tea shop owner who plays the national anthem at three o'clock every day. Three ladies didn't bother standing, so she asked them to leave. Oi, out, out. It's a royal tea shop. How dare you disrespect the Queen. Neil says, Piff, yes, it was the first magic show. We loved him. Typical Russians pinching his act. Send him to the salt mines. I mean, if you, hopefully you've all seen it on my, on my Twitter page. Kevin says, I leave home for work about ten to one and listen to the weather just before shutdown on another radio station, and they play the national anthem. I would stand up as a sal- and salute, but as I'm driving down Epping High Street, kind of makes it a bit tricky. Yes, I, I, would, I wouldn't reckon... And also probably illegal, I should imagine. Steve, Asda, Crawley, didn't know anything about the salmon. I went at seven. When I was at school 45 years ago, teachers stood up in cinema. My old firm used to do the minute silence, but stopped seven years ago. 
It's a bit difficult. On a, we, we, we do it on the radio. We've always done two minutes silence on the radio. And you just sit here. And you just, uh, you just think. Don't you? Think about people that you've... Uh, not. We, ha- we have to play silence. So we call... It's called white noise. So we play white noise. Otherwise the station switches off. Which is good. Uh, Alison Phillips is talking about Chantelle. I was going to weave her in to our free podcast today, but it's too good to actually throw away. This is, uh, she says, if Aesop had been writing his fables right now, Chantelle Houghton would be his girl who cried, sorry, wolf. Eight month pregnant, she's now walked out on reality codependent Alex Reed and has been snapped looking distraught. Apparently the cross-dressing cage fighter has done something terrible. Possibly. Maybe it was absolutely horrific, barbaric even, but it's too late. We don't care because Chantelle has cried wolf too many times. She says here, remember when her ex, Rav Wilding, went potty because she invited snappers along to witness a romantic picnic? Or the mileage she made out of her on-off relationship with her husband, Preston, who she met on Big Brother? Chantelle was created by reality TV. It may yet destroy her too. I'd like to hope motherhood would put her priorities in order, but in reality it'll probably just be her biggest photo opportunity yet. It is sadly tragic, the desperately stupid Chantelle. You remember she was created for Big Brother, where she had to tell them that she was a celebrity, but they didn't know who she was. Unfortunately, now we do, and it's not a pleasant-looking sight. Her and uh, Preston, the dimmest man in music... <coughs> killed his career stone dead. Killed it stone dead. He had a very intelligent French girlfriend, dumped her for Chantel, and then eventually Chantel and him split up because apparently it was just pretend. They just wanted to do it for the money. Uh, he walked off, never mind the buscocks, which I thought was hilarious, when Simon Anstel started reading out <coughs> excuse me, clips from Chantel's book, Living the Dream. The dream was living the dream. And so he started reading out, and Preston stood up. Well, first of all, he sort of sat there, and went, that's, that's not very funny, and all the rest of it. And, of course, Simon Ansel went, well, it is, actually, it really is. And so he, he said, but she's written it. I mean, so I'm not making it up, I'm reading what she says here. And in the end, little, little, little um, Preston stood up and did a queenie fit and walked off. The, it was the best thing ever. It was the best thing ever. It was so funny, because we love stuff like that, because he was so incensed, and after that, his career took a nosedive and never went anywhere, just killed it stone dead, because he quite clearly... People then realised he didn't actually have a sense of humour. There was no humour, there was no nothing. He couldn't see the irony of the whole thing. Whereas you look at Chantel now and you just see a sad, lonely creature drifting from one naff reality star to another one. I'm no big fan of Rav Wilding, let me tell you. Sorry. <coughs> Thought I'd have a little cough this morning. I hate hearing the adverts. I hate hearing the adverts about the coughing thing. It frightens the life out of me. It really does. Um, the other story that's in the paper today is the, the police chiefs who've had to apologise to grieving relatives. They've kept 500 body parts for, for years after death cases were solved. This follows a report that reveals 492 major limbs and organs and hearts, and brains, going back as far as 1960, had been needlessly preserved and withheld. The probe by the Association of Chief Police Officers found investigators may have wrongly assumed that post-mortem tissues had been disposed of by the medical profession or by some other means. So what they've done is they've hung on to them. 71 body parts, police in Northern Ireland, the Met, 39 major body parts on Merseyside, 37. Cambridgeshire, 35. It goes throughout the whole country. Anne Bundy, 
whose brother Nigel Evans had his brain retained by the police without his relative's knowledge after he died in 2003, said many people would find the report disgusting. You don't expect parts of your relatives to be kept by people. She said all the families involved in this are probably absolutely devastated. Julie Middleton, whose six-week-old son Regan's brain was kept in a jar after he died at pool from cot death, said there would be a ripple effect and many more people would be affected. I didn't know. See, I, I didn't think the police would keep things like that. I thought they would be kept by hospitals. We know that there was a case some years ago where lots of, of babies who had died, body parts were saved. And then they didn't really know what to do with them. And that then became a, a, little, a little bit of a problem. Uh, the police chief report says there may be a legal requirement to retain samples until convicted prisoners have served their sentence. But he said in some cases, officers have not said which powers were used to seize and preserve samples. Well, they probably never thought it would come up. They probably never thought that somebody would say, excuse me, what are these jars in here? And they go, well, that was um, a cot death investigation or that was, you know, a murder investigation. And they go, well, from what year? 1970. What are they still doing here? You can't then, unfortunately, just throw them out. You then have to go through due legal process, which means probably some of the relatives having to go to court to get parts of their relatives back so they can be buried. Because I don't know what else you do with them. I'm assuming you'd want to bury some somebody completely. Would that not be uh, the way it would work nowadays? Uh, 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. Steve says, are you sure it's going to be bright today? Absolutely. That's what the weather forecast have said. Misty start... And uh, and now looking, it's going to be gorgeous today. I mean, it really is. It's it's one of those one of those nice days, one of those nice days. Um, somebody wrote to um, because they were talking about uh, uh, obesity and how uh, it isn't just fast food. The majority of it is, though. We have got, and I don't know whether it's the same, you know, throughout the entire country, that what is springing up all over the place are cheap fast food outlets. You can find them in any town centre. You'll find the kebab, the chicken, the um, the burgers, all sorts of cheap food, cheap foreign food. And the story was that, as Duncan was relaying it to you, and I was listening to him, that Haringey Council might restrict the number of fast food outlets in a move to tackle obesity. And Duncan quite rightly pointed out, well, what good's that going to do? People will just go round the corner to another borough and go and buy it there. Makes no difference where it is, because all people want... If, if you're a landlord and you've got shops and you've got the right the right letter in front of you, I can't remember which, which letter it is that, that allows you to actually cook food. There are, there are two. One, you can serve food, but you can't cook it. And the other is... I can't remember what the licence is now. But there are some places... We had, a, we had a cafe. It's closed down in Twickenham because they were cooking food. But they didn't have a licence to cook food. There's another one as well, which is down past the station, run by a very rude... Let's just call them rude person, shall we? And their licence is they're not allowed to do takeaways. You've got to eat the food in there. But what they're doing is flouting the law. And they let... Because, you know, they have to be reported and then, you know, it has to go through it. It just takes forever and a day. But uh, there are certain licences. So you can eat food in there, but you can't take away. And I think that that applies to various other places I've been in before, where they say you can eat in the place. It might be a McDonald's or a Burger King or something like that, but you can't actually take it away. They don't do a takeaway. And I'm not really a fan of fast food because most of it is absolute rubbish. It's not, it's not good quality. I've said to you before, if they can do 
three hot chicken wings, two pieces of garlic bread and a drink, and it's one ninety nine. You know it's rubbish. You know it's rubbish. You know it's coming from Thailand or China or something like that, where there's sort of cheap farm chicken comes in frozen, and they flog it out, and it's just deep fried, and it's just rubbish. It's absolute rubbish. You want quality food? Go to a supermarket. It's LBC 97.3. Time now, 5.30. <laughs> Headlines with Sam Pitters. Three. This is London's biggest conversation with Steve Allen. Morning, 27 minutes to six. It is going to be a nice day. I keep reminding myself, I know it looks a bit overcast at the moment, but they tell me it's going to be a nice day and they tell me now it's going to be 25 degrees. Uh, I think Phil Jupiter's walked off, never mind the bus cuts, when Dappy peeved him off. Uh, has he done a press? I didn't know, I wasn't aware of that one. I just laughed at the, uh, that happened too. Oh, right. Oh, dear. Poor old Dappy. Isn't Dappy from the same group that Talisa's from? Oh, dear. Two peas out of the same pod, I'm afraid. I I wish I'd seen that. I like Phil Jupiter's. I can't can't imagine anybody ever upsetting Phil Jupiter's. What a strange person to upset. You can understand Preston, because he was always a third-rate no-mark. You know, there was nothing going on there. He was only famous when he went on to the television, but we didn't know who he was. And then he took up with Chantel. What what conversations they must have had. But then afterwards, it turned out the whole thing was just a bunch of old hooey. The other one I thought was the funniest one ever was when, oh, who did they have on the television? It was the bloke who used to be on airport or airplane or something, and he was the um, the bloke from the Russian plane, and it was set at Heathrow, and he was very, very camp. Very, very camp, and uh, he popped up all over the place. He, he, did, he, he sort of became, he was a little bit like Brian Dowling. He sort of became famous because he'd been on this television programme and he spoke fluent Russian, But he was over here and he turned up on the programme and... Now, who was the comedian? There was a comedian on, on the same panel. And I remember at one time, this bloke from Aeroflot called Jeremy Spake. Jeremy Spake. It was hilarious because at one point he said, uh, I was with my wife the other day and this comedian said, your wife? He said, your wife? And he was insinuating that because he was so he's so so camp, he must have been gay. Well, Jeremy Spake wasn't gay. And Jeremy Spake took umbrage. I can't remember who did it. Who did this blooming thing? I, somebody picked on him anyway and just laughed at him. And Jeremy Spake got really upset. Got very upset. You know, I don't know what you're insinuating. I thought, well, we know exactly what he's insinuating. And anyway, he, he asked for it to be taken out of the programme, but they didn't. They actually put it out. So you could probably find that on YouTube as well. There's all sorts of strange things on YouTube, which you can go... You'll probably find Piff the Magic Dragon, and you'll find the Russians got talent Piff on there as well. But I did tweet it for you yesterday. Who would buy art from the craze? Believe it or not, the, the craze when they were in prison, and they were in prison for most of their lives. They were, really. Although in this day and age, they would have been let out ages and ages ago. But because of their notoriety, it just wouldn't have been good to let them out. Ronnie died, of course, in Broadmoor. In '96, and uh, Reggie died in the year 2000. I think when their mum died, I think Reggie was taken out of prison. But they 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 attached him to the tallest policeman they could find, and there was all these people in the East End going, "Good on you, Reggie! Good on you, Reggie! All right, Reggie, love you, Reggie!" and all this kind of stuff. It was all a bit naff. And uh, anyway, they, they they did this art while they were inside because they had nothing else to do apart from correspond with people who wanted to write to the craze. And there is a website that's devoted to criminal art and criminal artefacts. 
people have a fascination in the same way that there's stuff devoted to, you know, circuses or fun fair, whatever it happens to be, it doesn't matter. There's always somebody who'll be interested. So they did these, these pictures and they left them, uh, along with a series of badly spelt letters and poems, to their lifelong friend, Laurie O'Leary. Well, Laurie O'Leary died a short while ago and, uh, and all this stuff's going to come up for auction. They reckon it's actually, it could be worth £20,000. Admittedly, they were terrible artists. They couldn't, they couldn't paint for toffee. I mean, they really were bad. There, there is one, one picture <coughs> of the craze in a cell together, which of course never happened, which might sort of fetch the, uh, the most. And, uh, interesting enough, what one of the letters Ronnie writes, it was a very nice visit and how good it was not to talk about crime. In another, Reggie writes to O'Leary, don't worry about me, I'm fit and relaxed as one can be in prison. Because both of them, I think, I think Ronnie was, was gay to start with, and then Reggie, I think, turned gay in, in prison. Because uh, you don't really have much choice when you're in prison for life. But if this stuff comes up, and it will, at Brightwell's Fine Art Auctioneers, they reckon 20,000. I think because of the interest with the craze, it will probably go for more. There will be somebody who will pay for it. I don't think it's going to be any of the big art collectors, but I think out of sheer novelty value, somebody will actually buy something like that. I don't know how many pictures there are, but um, they've got the oil painting uh, of uh, of a cottage by a pond by Ronnet. Very childlike. You know, I mean, you could, you, you could never say they were good artists. The only reason that they're interesting is because they were painted by the craze. The poverty gap is... Uh, is, is among the worst in the Western world, here in this country, believe it or not. Uh, apparently the worst off... See if we've got anything around London. Luckily, nothing in London. Thank goodness. Even though you might look around the area where you live, ladies and gentlemen, and think maybe the, uh, the council are not doing enough. We, we've got a system in at the moment in Twickenham. It doesn't seem to work for everybody. But there's been a grant. I think it's come down from government or something, or from Boris. And so they're able to paint some shop fronts up. So they've gone round and certain people qualified and some people didn't qualify. So at least that's quite nice. The worst off, Toxteth in Liverpool. Now, over the years, of course, with the Toxteth riots and things like that, you can understand. And it's, it's, a, it's a, an area where there is nothing. There is nothing. Just boarded up houses and tenement blocks. Um, next is Shaw Road in Oldham, Liverpool. It's all Liverpool, Manchester, Rochdale. In fact, Liverpool features... Quite heavily in some of the worst off areas, Queen's Road, uh, Toxteth West, Collyhurst in Manchester and Cannon Park in Middlesbrough. The best places, let's see if you, you fit into any of these this morning. The best off uh, is Camberley, Heatherside in Surrey. So if you live Camberley Way, uh, you're OK. Alderley Edge in Cheshire. Now, I'm led to believe that's all the footballers. That's where all the footballers go to, because that's, that's sort of very middle class and they can show off their swanky mansions. A little bit bad. They have no taste whatsoever. They, have, they really don't know. Uh, Barkham in Berkshire. I've never even heard of Barkham. And I used to live in Berkshire. I've never even heard of Barkham in Berkshire. Brightwell in Suffolk. Combaton in Cambridgeshire. Ingatestone in Essex. I know Ingatestone very well, so you've done quite well. Harpenden in Hertfordshire. Is it Houghton on the Hill in Leicestershire? Houghton on the Hill? Uh, Rowledge in Surrey, which I've never heard of either, and Weldrake in York. So it's, it's interesting, this sort of huge divide. Camberley uh, Heatherside in Surrey is the best off, and Toxteth East in Liverpool is the worst. It's that big north-south divide uh, of areas that they don't really know what to do with. They have no idea whatsoever. If it's, if it's a, a very depressed area, nobody wants to live there. There's a lot of crime. Julian Clary. Julietta, thank you. It was Julian Clary who was taking the mickey. 
out of the uh, the bloke from Aeroflot, Jeremy Spake. Um, the tube trains. The tube trains are going to be painted for the, the Queen's Jubilee. How lovely. I'm all in favour of this Queen's Jubilee. I know some people I've spoken to have gone, what a waste of money. And apparently... If you, if you give them £40 million, you can have the Queen's New Yacht named any name you want. So, in other words, if I had £40 million sitting in the bank, I could have it called the Steve Allen or something like that. The Steve Allen LBC 97.3. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, why are we having to pay £40 million? This woman is one of, among the richest in the world. She's, a, she's not short of money. She's not short of... £40 million wouldn't exactly make any dent in the royal family's coffers whatsoever. They just put the prices up for going to visit Buckingham Palace and they cover it very quickly. So why do we have to pay for it? It'll be some Russian oligarch who will, who will cough up 40 million and then call it, you know, whatever you want it called, Your Majesty, so they can then get in, you know, with the royal family. That's how it works, actually. Well, it does, it does if you know Prince Andrew. You need to know Prince Andrew to get, you know, the inside into... Or Sarah, Sarah Ferguson's fairly good at getting people into the, uh, the uh, royal... Would you like to pay a little, a little bit of money? I'll introduce you to Prince Andrew. You know, a lot of people. A lot of people. Helicopter pilot. You must have heard of him. Very famous. Uh, Steve, I shall be watching the first of two live Eurovision semi-finals. Well, she'll find out whether Jedward and those Russian grannies can actually make the final, says John in Harrow on the Hill. Oh, dear, Jedward again. I mean, how old are they? Seven, eight years old? No. Jedward at 18, pushing 19 now. You'd never believe it to watch them jumping around. The amount of television programmes they've had to be stopped on. Somebody said, listen, just just calm down a bit, boys. OK? Don't jump around so much. We're not Tigger or something like that, OK? Just sort of calm down a little bit. And they'll be miming or sort of double-tracking their, their song for Eurovision. Whereas, as far as I'm concerned, Enge, my new best friend, if you haven't downloaded it, you're very naughty indeed. It's on the LBC website, lbc.co.uk, and you can download um, uh, the podcast where we've got Eng on there. Love him. I love the song. I've said to you before, I hope it's, it's going to win for us. We've always got an element of doubt because it'll be tactical voting again, but it doesn't matter. It would be nice. The Chelsea Flower Show, of course, kicked off yesterday. Lots of famous people. Chuff, 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 said Thomas, because Ringo Starr was there. And uh, Michael Caine, I only told you to blow the bloody doors off. And uh, he was there, and Princess Michael of Kent, and uh, Dermot Gavin, and his daughter was presented to the Queen, and the Queen goes to Chelsea. And we like Chelsea, because we like the Chelsea pensioners, and people look after them. It's the only thing people do. People show respect to the Chelsea pensioners in Chelsea. If ever they go into a pub, they never buy a drink. Everybody wants to buy them drinks. How most of them aren't alcoholics, I've got no idea. There's probably some listening at the moment. I've been round. And uh, that's the only thing you do get respect. This is after the respect story in the paper of uh, the woman who owns the, the tea shop, which is devoted to the royal family. She loves the royal family. And so she plays the national anthem. And, and three women didn't stand up. They carried on. She was furious, furious. So she threw them out, which is good. It's like when you see the Chelsea pensioners. When they go in pubs and they walk up and down... The, the King's Road, people want to talk to them because they're, they're the last link, you know, with a sort of a long-forgotten group of people. And, and they just look so smart. Tourists want their pictures taken with them, so they become celebrities. It's funny, isn't it? Soldiers who, who become celebrities. And I think they've, they've got women in there now. God forbid. Women, ladies and gentlemen. I should go, go, at the, uh, at the Chelsea Hospital. And so during the, uh, the Chelsea Flower Show, you'll find them walking around... In fact, there was some the other day collecting funds. I think there was one who was in Kingston wearing his red uniform. And sort of people do give to the Chelsea pension. I find it very heartening 
that you have a lot of respect for them because you know what they went through. Some of the older ones, you know what they went through, you know, because you've seen the uh, the footage. So the Queen goes the other day looking absolutely fantastic and radiant. To be honest with you, I'm not the biggest fan of the Chelsea Flower I like it, but I like Hampton Court better because Hampton Court is a bigger setting. You tend to find when you go to Chelsea that you just go round in a crocodile. It's very nice, don't get me wrong. I've been there on numerous occasions. If you're a member of the uh, Royal Horticultural Society, there's a special day for you. So you don't have to queue up with all the riffraff. You just go in. And then, of course, the best thing is on the last day when you end up buying all the plants and people stagger back to the bus stop with the biggest fuchsia trees you've ever seen in your life. You think, you're never going to get that home. I've often wanted to do that and go and start buying because the growers don't want to take it home. They love selling it. So that's the good thing. But the, the Hampton Court Flower Show, which I was involved with when it first started, was fantastic. It's bigger, it's got all the marquees up, and you can walk around, and the, and the setting is lovely. I'm not saying the setting at Chelsea isn't, isn't nice, it's just a lot smaller than Hampton Court, so the RHS have got both now, whereas they didn't have, but uh, it was a long story to do with that one. Quarter to six. <laughs> Morning, 12 minutes to six. It's going to be a lovely day today. It's going to be nice, I promise. Well, I, I say I promise. I don't, I don't want to make any rash statements now, because I'm horrible feeling. When I've done that before, the heavens have opened. Tomorrow we might get some rain. But it's going to be quite warm and sticky. And today, up to 25 degrees. So 25 degrees, you can enjoy it today. As I said before, you're now kicking yourself that you forgot to phone in sick at the beginning of the week. I told you we might have some good weather around the corner. Finally, we have we have made it. Lots of tributes in the papers today to to Robin Gibb, the uh, the family. Are talking and, and uh, Robin's mum is coming back over again. Barry's gone to go and collect her. She was 92 and uh, so everybody's uh, mourning. 35 years of hits, not just hits for themselves, but hits that they wrote for loads of other people. Once they'd had Saturday Night Fever, there was no stopping them. They were writing hits left, right and centre. They must have had a, an absolute barrel load of, of hits, which you can just sort of put out. And so from their early stuff, and they had 35 years of hits, an awful lot of number ones in at least one country. There was Lonely Days, How Can You Mend a Broken Heart, My World. And then... The, the papers have done, you know, it's been a terrible month for losing people from the music industry. Uh, he joins a host of musical legends to pass away. Amy Winehouse, Etta James, Whitney Houston, Davy Jones of the Monkeys, Adam uh, Yorch, best known as uh, Beastie Boy MCA, Donna Summer and Clarence Clemens, who was uh, Bruce Springsteen's sax man, died after a stroke on June the 18th. He was only 69. I mean, it's it's quite a... Quite a catalogue. I still can't get over Davy Jones for some strange reason. It's one of those, you just always expect him to be there because you don't expect people to age in the business. Robin, as I say, was a fighter from start to finish. And yesterday we had uh, lots of memories from people talking about what it was like to uh, to be with them and to be around him. Such a polite family. Such a polite family. It's going to be such a tragic loss. And as everybody said yesterday and last night, you know, thoughts are now with uh, with Barry who's the oldest, by quite a way, actually, when you look at some of their early stuff, you know, Barry towered above them. The other two, you know, Robin and Morris, look quite small compared to Barry. But I, I, I bumped into... I never bumped into Morris, actually, strange enough. Never met Andy Gibb, but I met... Um, I met Barry, and, uh, and I did speak on the phone to Robin. But uh, much missed, much missed. The other thing which we're going to talk about this morning is the poor people who get caught on the trains with the wrong ticket. Now, I don't know if you've ever been caught with the wrong ticket. I haven't, because I've got a travel card, kind of thing, one of those, um, whatever they call them thingies. But uh, apparently, sometimes, people with make quite innocent mistakes with tickets. We've all been a bit naughty in our time, have we not? 
But uh, tickets are facing now a hefty fine if you've been a bit naughty and you've, and you've made an innocent mistake. Some even face criminal prosecution. After getting caught up in a minefield of rules and regulations, hundreds of passengers have complained to Passenger Focus about their unfair treatment. Some had forgotten their ticket, but still faced fines, even though they could produce proof of purchase. It's a difficult one, that, isn't it? One woman who had her £2 ticket checked on the train still faced an £85 fine when she was unable to produce it at the destination station. Now, I can imagine what this is like. I mean, I tend to put them in the right pocket, the right-hand pocket, so at least I can find the blooming thing. But we've all done it. You go to put your hand in there, and you get... I don't know where it is. Where's it go? I don't know. No idea. Two elderly disabled passengers who had tickets for a specific train boarded an earlier service after one fell over and one was in pain. Passenger Focus said their hope that the train company would be understanding was in vain. They were issued with an unpaid fare notice for £239. So that's two elderly, disabled passengers who had tickets for a specific train, boarded an earlier service after one fell over and was in pain. £239 they had to go for that one. One woman passenger was threatened with prosecution unless she was willing to pay £92, despite having proof of purchase of the return half of the ticket. I mean, how much more do you have to produce? Excuse me, I have the I have the, the return half of the ticket here, and I've got proof of purchase. Yeah, that's not enough, is it? Where is the other bit of the ticket? I don't know. I really don't know. Passengers, when, when, when boarding trains, are entering a minefield of rules and regulations. Some of them go back to Victorian times. So uh, the Rail Minister, Norman Baker, says passengers have a right for the rules to be consistently applied across all operators. It's worrying if passenger focus had found that this is not the case. It's in the interest of train operating companies that passengers are confident in what they're buying. I totally agree. Imagine, I mean, I'm, I'm still smarting over the two elderly disabled passengers. £239 and nobody can do anything for them. Because that's what they, they've decreed. It is... I mean, I did have a case a short while ago where I did get on a train and um, it was an else. I'm just, just checking. I've got something here. Cream. Face cream. I don't want to go out without face cream. Not in this weather. And, um, and I get on the train and I've got an Oyster card. And the, the guard comes along. He's fairly elderly. And he checks the ticket or the inspector or whatever he happened to be. Uh, up ahead of me, there were some, uh, some lads. Young lads. And he gets to them and he goes, tickets. And the guy goes, one of these young guys, he goes, come on, you know, man, you know, don't have to worry about no ticket, do we? And in the end, he left them. He didn't make them show a ticket or anything else. And I felt like complaining. I felt like saying something to the rail company, like, come on, are we having rules for everybody? Or are these, you know, some of these ticket collectors bending the rules for other people? Because they certainly bent it on this particular occasion. You know, he tried to get money out of them. They weren't having it. They weren't going to pay him at all. And that was that. And I thought, it's wrong, you know. It's wrong. It's got to be the same for all of us. But if you face that on the train, I don't know, or, or failing that, you, but i tell you what I love. It's on the buses when people get on and they hold their Oyster card up. It goes, beep, 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 beep. And you go, they haven't got any money on there. Nine out of ten times, the bus drivers will let them on the bus. Because the passenger will go, oh, it's, it's, it's a fault with the, with the card. No, it's not, because you've got no money on it. Because you've got no money. Beep, 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 beep. There's no money. Get off. But nine out of ten times, the, the bus drivers are good. And they will allow them to actually travel on the bus. And yet you know that they've done this time and time again. Uh, Steve, I get loads of ideas watching the Chelsea Flower Show and then look outside at my handkerchief-sized garden and realise just none of it will fit. 
I know, you do get... Have you looked at uh, Dear McGavin's huge piece this year? It's an enormous thing. It's like a, like a, a, a leaning tower of Pisa. It's wonderful. Uh, Neil says, Lorraine and I went on the last day, Lady Year, last year. Uh, it was a great day. We left with armfuls of plants and flowers and made it onto the TV. The Chelsea pensioners are lovely and nothing and love nothing more than you stopping and just having a chat. It's good, isn't it? I mean, to be honest with you, they're just so iconic. They really are. Um, Mel, the milkman, which has played with milkman on this programme, says, I live in Camberley, and believe you me, we have our fair share of chavs. I know. It's, it, it, isn't, it, it isn't so much the chav area or the, or the chav head count. Uh, it's the, it's the rundownness of the place. It's the fact that there is nothing. So if you go to Toxteth, East Toxteth and West Toxteth in Liverpool, there's nothing there. All the buildings are boarded up. It's just a total area of deprivation. It's almost like London used to look like in the war. Actually, talking of that, actually, I got loads of people who'd been out and bought that uh, James Mason film, and it brought back very, very many happy memories for a lot of people. So I was very pleased about that. Very pleased about that. We recommended that on the programme uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Nick Ferrari is going to be talking about... Now, this is very interesting. A friend of... And the only reason I mention it is because Nick's going to be talking about it. Um, because... Do you know that you cannot use the word Olympic in an advert? So, in other words, anybody who's got an Olympic-sized breakfast, you'll have to take it off. Because you'll get a phone call from the lawyers, the people... Because, apparently, the term Olympic has been registered as a trade name. And you can't just put up flags like that. You can buy Olympic flags. You can't just put them up. A friend of mine's got an Olympic flag... And he said, I think I'll put it up. And I said, well, I wouldn't risk it. I said, because unless you've got permission to put it up from them, um, and they're going to be clamping down on people, left, right and centre, uh, it's very dangerous. A friend of mine, as you know, Paul, Paul Cooper, has got a fruit and veg stall. And his fruit and veg stall is on the pavement because it's his shop and there's a bit of the pavement. So we had a letter a few months back from the Olympic Committee. He's got to apply for a street licence for trading on the street, because a few cyclists are coming through Twickenham. So he's got to apply. So I said to him, I said, well, just ignore it. I said, just push all the fruit back. He's been there for 26 years. But now he's got to have a street licence. So anybody who's out on the street, the Olympic people are clamping down like there's no tomorrow. And because half of his stall is on the street, because that's how these shops work, fruit and veg shops, it's as simple as that. And so he's got to have a street licence because the cycles go past his front door. Whereas a bit further up, you know, shops that are also out on the pavement won't have to pay anything because the cycles veer off to the left. Have you heard of anything so stupid in your entire life? So, we, we, you know, we, we're sort of struggling to get behind it. But at the same time, the bureaucracy. So Nick will be looking at that with the Olympic branding as it lost all proportion. And the answer is it absolutely has. Carol Vorderman is going to be talking about more must be done in <clears throat> teaching maths because she was a mathematician. And uh, Mehdi Hassan will be looking at the papers this morning. So, uh, oh, and also the Deputy Prime Minister, Nick Clegg, will be closing the gap between rich and poor students. He says, it's the person you become, not the person you were born, that matters most. The person you become. So in the case of students, drunk, drug-smoking layabouts, ladies and gentlemen, who take part in the London riots and loot and things like that. No, we must, we must be nice to them, mustn't we? Because they're, they're students and, bless their hearts, they're probably still staggering in from the bars, but they've got to be at lectures later on today. But, I mean, who cares? You're a student! They'll talk about that and other things as well with Nick Ferrari and the team from 7 o'clock this morning. I love the story the other day of uh, David Follett's wheelchair. He was holding one of the Olympic torches that went out. 
It went out. Poor soul. Honestly, the embarrassment of the whole thing. It was a malfunction. But uh, all is well now, as they say. And some woman who sold hers has been getting a barrage of abuse on eBay, saying, how dare you sell it? It's disgusting. It's this, it's that, and it's all the rest of it. Uh, either way, it's still an Olympic flame. You shouldn't sell them. You should keep them. It's part of history. Give it to the children. Give it some mean and flogging. Honestly, these people, it's just disgusting. News is next. It's LBC 97.3. We've got the news at six with Sam. On FM. On Morning, we should win the Eurovision Song Contest. Oh, I hope so. It would be so nice, wouldn't it? I've seen all the uh, the things, all the traders for it saying, you know, we did win. I mean, years ago, people liked us. Now they just come here to take the benefits. They don't really bother with the songs or anything else, and it's become a little bit political. Mind you, it was always political. Don't ever get me wrong. I mean, we, we, we never voted for Germany. They never voted for us. It was always the same, and yet sometimes the German songs were really, really good. But because of the war, we, you know, we, we, we just did that. Now you get exactly the same tactical voting. And, uh, and we all feel a bit miffed about it. If you prefer Hampton Court to Chelsea Flower Show, try going to Malvern. They have one in the spring and the autumn, and it's fabulous. Loads of room, not too many people. A couple of hours travel. Oh, I'm not sure I could do travelling to go to a flower show. It's, it's all right to do the Hampton Court one, because it is literally just down the road. And it is, it, it's so nicely done, and it's so spread out. And I, I like a good marquee. I like, uh, I tell you, my favourite bit of it, I like looking at the bonsai. The bonsai trees, I mean, they, they, the last time that I went there, it was like a forest of bonsai, miniature trees. Not the ones you see in the garden centres, which are nice, but, you know, some really old trees. Absolutely fantastic. Wonderful. Uh, sad, says Jane, uh, losing Robin Gibb and how his mother must be feeling losing three children. Yes, well, you know, people do say, you know, you don't expect to be burying your children. You expect your children to be burying you. And she's 92. 92 is mum. Uh, I bought a train ticket to Coventry at Waterloo years ago and dropped it <clears throat> into the escalator when helping an old dear with a suitcase, says Sarah. I went to customer service office and was told they couldn't issue me with another despite the check stub proof. It doesn't prove anything, does it, really? As they said, I could have given the ticket to somebody else, probably why inspectors are difficult, even if you can prove purchase. They said to buy another and make a claim for the refund, which I couldn't do, as I had too little money in the account, so my visit to the relatives was cancelled. Yes, you see, it's no good. I mean, I can understand that, absolutely. I can understand that you say, look, there is my cheque stub, and they go, it doesn't prove anything to us. It doesn't prove that you bought it. We had this, uh, this, this case in court of somebody saying, look, here is some money that I took out the bank, and that paid for that, and we go, well, that doesn't prove anything. You know, I, I can show you me taking £100 on Saturday out of the bank and, and I, I could say I spent it on a computer. But, I mean, there's no proof of that unless you get a receipt from somebody saying, I sold you a computer registration number so-and-so for £100 on Saturday. Otherwise, nothing. A, a cheque stub. In fact, cheque stubs now, they don't account for anything, which is even worse. Hardly anybody uses cheques. Has anybody ever used cheques anymore? The idea of going out and writing out a cheque... Most people have got bank cards. You've got a bank card so you can get your money out of the diddly-dip machine, you know, diddly-diddly-dip, and then you sort of, you know, dip, and then beep-beep-beep, and then beep, and then beep, and then diddly-dip, and then out there comes the money. And you've got to be very careful. I don't like anybody standing near me. I don't like anybody around cash points. Anybody who looks remotely, you know, suspect. Stay well away from me, thank you very much indeed. I don't want any of that going on. And, so, and it always comes at the same time. The card comes out, and then quickly you've got to make a grab for the money. Because it all happens in a space of in a space of seconds, so that that's why diddly dip machines are good. Surely he has permission from the council to use the pavement, says Stephen Harlington. Uh, well, no, there's now two. The council 
have allowed him to use the pavement. But the Olympic Committee, if any part of the Olympic Games crosses in front of it, that becomes Olympic territory. Don't ask me how, but it does. And because we've got a cycle ride going through, the council, the uh, the Olympic Committee, licensed the people on the pavement. So he's treated as if he's selling, you know, sort of toffee apples and candy floss on the street from a, from a wagon. That's how he's treated. So that's why. Because I said to him, surely this comes under the council. No, it comes under the Olympic Committee. And they're looking for something like, I might have got this wrong, £500. I'm thinking, don't think so. Don't think so. Uh, I have to, to travel from Sidcup to Denmark Hill every two weeks to take my daughter to King's College Hospital. For over a year, I was buying tickets and never had them checked. For the past five trips, we've just got on and took a chance. But listening to you this morning won't be doing that again. Thank you, Rebecca. So there you go. Yes, I mean, it's, you know, you, you, you can't afford to risk the fine because what they'll do is they will put people in court. There are more... Ca- you, you go along to courts now, especially magistrates' courts, and there's all sorts of people in there. You know, one woman faced an £85 fine. She had a £2 ticket checked on the train and then she lost it at the end. Find her 85 quid. One woman passenger threatened with prosecution despite having proof of purchase and the return half of the ticket unless she showed the other half £92. She paid a £92 fine. So be very careful because these inspectors pop up all over the place. It's, I mean, it, it, it really isn't, uh, it isn't actually good. Me and a friend, says Paul, bought tickets from uh, somewhere to King's Cross. My friend's was combined with a travel card. When we got to King's Cross, the machine swallowed the ticket. The gate guard opened the machine. It had gone. He phoned through to, is it Ebbsfleet, wherever that is, and spoke to the guy who issued the tickets. He remembered us and told the guard what we bought. However, the King's Cross ticket office wouldn't issue a replacement ticket and told us if he wanted to buy a new one, it's another £22. It ended with the police being called, and my friend got caution and fined £60! for being loud in the ticket hall. Let's say we won't be using that service again. Well, I had a worse one yesterday. I go to Marks and Spencer's. I buy some food. OK. I mean, it's, it's, I was in a bit of a dichotomy. I had to phone a friend to ask what to do, and in the end, I, I left it. And I should have had 41 pence change. It was whatever it was. It was 41 pence change. When I got outside the store, I opened my hand, and there were three 5p coins. See, obviously thought that three 5p coins was 41 pence, but it wasn't. It was 15 pence. Now, by that time, I'd walked out the store, so I didn't like to go back in and go, I think you've just made a mistake. Because then they'd have to wait till the end of the day and check the tills. So I kind of, I kind of left it. I just put it down to the fact that if you're going to check your change, stand there and do it in front of them. Don't walk outside the store and then go, they've made a mistake. Because that, 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 that's what I ended up with yesterday. Um... And so I was sort of down on the deal. It was only, it was pennies, admittedly. I'm not going to make a big deal about a few pennies. But I just thought, if you do that countless times, it can, it can add up a little bit. But I just wondered why he was thinking 15 pence as opposed to 41 pence. But anyway, never mind. I always get a receipt when I purchase train tickets. Steve, as they have reference numbers on, I got mugged in Manchester, went to the station, explained along with the crime reference number and, and uh, got accused of trying to fair dodge. Yeah, well, if, if you've got a crime number, that's OK. If you've got a crime number, you can sort of say that. The trouble is, it, it just depends whether you sound believable, I suppose. Uh, we, will, we will check out the M25 for you. We'll get Andy McCall to have a check on that one for you, just to, uh, to sort out, just in case. Uh, the James Mason book, it's not, it's a film. It's The London Nobody Knows. 
the London nobody knows. Uh, Anthony says, I agree with you, Steve. Many of these ticket inspectors often wrongly enforce the rules to the weaker-looking or easier targets. It makes my blood boil. Yes, I mean, I'm, I see, I'm always good. I always hold up my card and everything else. But you've got to be very careful when you go to other countries. They're very hot on it. Absolutely very hot on it. And uh, so Heathrow says that John is now supposedly forking out £20 million to ensure speedier security checks during the Olympics. What exactly will the obscene amount of cash be spent on? Well, I'm hoping different people. People who, who come in who sort of whiz it through. I can't think of anything else. Can you think of anything else that would, that would speed it through? I'm not sure, actually. Uh, Kev says, some of my customers still pay me by cheque, but most pay me online now. I still collect about 50 customers at the door. Is that amazing? Absolutely. Some people still pay by cheque, the milkman. Unbelievable. It really is. It's LBC 97.3. LBC 97.3. Morning, 17 minutes past six. Tuesday morning in London town. It's going to be a nice day, so the good news is good weather, 25 degrees. Uh, Susan Bookbinder will be here just after the news at 6.30. Nick and the team will be here just after the news at uh, 7. I love the tribute of the week. Ali Ross writing in the Sun today. Eamon, me, 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 Holmes. Oh, isn't he just... And that dreary wife of his, she pops up everywhere. Good Lord. How to make your hair look like sort of somebody's plugged you into the electric light socket. He says, uh, Donna Summers died. Sad, I suppose. I nearly lost my life once interviewing Britney Spears. It was so boring. And uh, Ali Ross writes, All our thoughts are with Eamon's ego at this difficult time, I suppose. Yes, Eamon's ego. <laughs> Huge and monstrous, ladies and gentlemen. It's only right that people line up to buy the Chelsea pensioners drinks, says Colin. Not just because of their service to the country, but because the pensioners surrender their army pension to the hospital in return for their lodging, food and clothing. I know. I know. Well, people have always done it. I remember since when I was 15, coming up to, to, uh, to Chelsea Drugstore and to go up and down the King's Road, Chelsea. The pensioners there, people always bought them. In fact, people used to fight to buy them drinks. It was, a, it was as good as that. So, problems on the trains, if you don't have a ticket, or you've got the wrong ticket, or you're on the wrong day, or something like that, or the weather's wrong, or there's leaves on the track, they find you left, right and centre. They make life hell for you. The trouble is, there's so many rules and regulations, you don't know where you are. Alfred. Uh, good morning, Steve. Morning. How are you? Did you have problems um, as well? Yeah, well, I'll tell you, when I was on, uh, I lived at home on Merseyside. I lost my travel pass on the train between Liverpool and Southport. Right. They grilled me as if uh, the railway police, when I got to Southport, because they hadn't got me pass, they grilled me for two hours as a fair dodger. And I'm telling you, I've, I've, I lived in that town all me, you know, most of my mm. life, and we'd I paid, we'd bought a, our house there, paid council tax there, and all the rest of it. And I'm obviously over the, you know, um, mm. a, a coughing dodger, and yet they still did that to me. Now in London, now I've, I've, I've lost my wallet. I left it in Bolton last week, so me, my freedom passes up there. Now, some bus drivers in London, they're great. They, they issue you the unpaid fare notice, you know. Oh, and you have to pay it within five day, oh. days. But um, my travel pass, at one time, if you're if you freedom, but if you lost it, you could go to the post office, they give you a number, and you and because everything's on computer, you could get it more or less straight away. Yeah. I've been waiting now for three days for me freedom pass. So I pay, I, 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 use, I use an Oyster card. So, right... It's costing me a bomb, you know, but I realise yeah. what um, Londoners actually pay, you know, the working people. Frightening, isn't it? And the, 
they've screwed me for 15 quid up to now. And yeah. uh, yesterday I jumped on the bus and there was a policewoman by the driver and I, I told them the score because they hadn't got a... Um, me, me Oyster card had run out. She says, oh, well, you can't travel on here without it. So anyway, I forked out the money, you know, but... Well, it's it expensive, isn't it? De- pardon? It's expensive. Well, it is. It's, you know, I mean, I suppose it's all right if you're earning a living, but, I'm, you know, I'm on the... Uh, the state pension business, mm-hmm. you know. The trouble is, Alfred, you, you, you get all these sort of problems on the buses. And, I, I mean, you, you must have hit an unlucky one because normally the bus drivers that I see, if somebody gets on and they go, oh, my Oyster card's broken or I haven't got any money or something like that, they actually let them get away with it. They'll actually let them do a, a right. Especially if you're elderly, it seems right, doesn't it? If, if, if you're elderly, somebody's going to be, be a bit nicer to you. I would hope, but quite clearly nowadays, people aren't. Quite clearly, people people aren't, which I find a great shame. Thank you for that. A uh, couple here. Uh, I saw the torch on the BBC News. Why was Will I Am one of the people carrying it? Isn't he American? Says Barbara. I don't. I'm, I miss that bit. I can't stand Will I Am. I don't know why. I'm just going off. I don't know why we have to entertain Americans anyway on our TV shows. Does that make me a dreadful person? Probably. Uh, one on on checks. David and uh, Katie says we accept checks because they're they're children's entertainers. But finding it increasingly that they're worn and creased, clearly a sign that the checkbook's been lying in a drawer somewhere for many months unwanted. We're off to the television today. We're contestants on Pointless. Woo! How posh are you? See, we get all sorts of classy people on LBC 97.3. Uh, perhaps the train companies, Steve, says Jane, are not willing to accept true stories of lost tickets. Uh, it's because people seldom tell the truth about anything. Seems that if you can benefit from lying, it's OK to do it. It goes on all the time. I got on a bus a while ago. Ages ago, and the guy gets on, a young guy, and he says to the bus driver, I've, I've, I haven't got any money, mate. He said, I need to get to so-and-so, because I've got to go to the hospital and, 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 go and go and get some treatment and all the rest of it. And so the bus driver goes, well, you can't get on with that. Please, could somebody help me? And he appeals to the whole bus. The whole bus. And, of course, everybody looks at the floor. And anyway, in the end, the bus driver said, oh, I'll just go and sit down. When he gets off, he goes off to buy cigarettes in the blooming supermarket. Because I got off with the same thing. I thought, some people are just gifted liars, aren't they? And, and some people like me couldn't tell a fib if their life depended on it. Why does the Olympic Committee, or does the Olympic Committee, says Philip, only have jurisdiction on the day or for the whole of the Olympic time? Um, well, it's, it's during... An event. So in Twickenham, because the cycling takes place through Twickenham, for the duration of that cycle race, and they go all the way up to Kingston, then I think they come back round and come back down again, they, they technically take over the, the running of people selling merchandise. And so that would be a flag waver, that would be a lollipop man, an ice cream man, could be anything like that. It just so happens that poor Paul Cooper has got fruit and veg, which is part on the pavement, because he's one of those people. Now, whether he pays to the council, I've no idea. I'll have to check with him a little bit later on today. But it's the fact that the Olympic Committee got... I said, but surely, this is up to the council. He said, no, I've been written to by the Olympic Committee. They want money for this. So they've obviously been and researched an area and gone, right, that, 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 that. And so that's why he's got to pay for it. Dan's up this morning. Either means he's just finishing work on the buses or he's just starting work on the buses. Either way, never very, uh, never very much good. Uh, 84850. Can't bear ticket inspectors producing my valid ticket. Uh, I tell them they're fascists, which always gets them heated. And I've been arrested. Not surprised, actually. I, I would absolutely have you, uh, have you arrested every single time, I'm afraid. 84850. Steve at Um... We always, says John, when we order our takeaway, be it Indian, Chinese or kebab, we have it delivered and paid by cheque. 
I didn't know people... I mean, I've got a chequebook, but it's in a drawer now because nothing I do is payable by, by cheque. Which reminds me, actually, I've got a bill to pay. I've just, I've just reminded myself. Joyce says, I travel on the DLR every day and somebody's caught fare dodging almost every day and they never either have any money on their card or never have a ticket at all. Yeah. Anne says, always check your change in front of the cashiers because sometimes you're given foreign currencies. I, know, I hate it when they actually check the note... They hold it up to the light. That really, really annoys me. That really annoys me, more than anything. So if ever they actually give me money, I always, uh, I always hold it up to the light as well. There's a, a feature in the uh, Sun today. It's a security court guard, a security court guard called Fast Eddie Mayer, who disappeared with 1.3 million from uh, his armoured van in Suffolk. For almost 20 years, he lived with his family under an assumed name in America until he was turned in by his daughter-in-law. <laughs> She says here he's now in jail awaiting extradition. Here's the second part of the series. We tell the story of his capture. Who cares? Who cares? She says here, everything my dad did was for the benefit of his family. I feel so bad. It's because of my boast that he's in prison. No, he's in prison because he's a thief. That's why. Oh, blimey, honestly. People will never learn, ladies and gentlemen. Will never learn. Uh, Paul says, you just said when reading out a text from Ebbsfleet. Where's that? It's the first station outside of London where some Eurostar trains stop just before Ashford International. Ashford International? The very idea that Ashford in Kent could be international. It's near Dartford, says Paul in Biggin Hill. Thank you very much indeed for that. Asher. I always love it when they call it Ashford International. Makes it sound like it's a posh, doesn't it? Something like that. So uh, be warned if you're travelling on the trains today. Be very careful. Uh, if you want to know all about uh, what Olympic merchandising you can use, if you've got a business, it seems hardly anything at all. You need that minefield explained, and Nick Ferrari and the team will explain it to you a little bit later on this morning. Front pages of the uh, the papers, have a quick look through. Flowers fit for the Queen. Her Majesty out at Chelsea Flower Show. Looking as uh, as wonderful as ever. Didn't she, didn't she ever has the delight of leaning over a bath with one of those plastic shower things, you know, or a, or a little jug pouring water? No, probably not. I think somebody comes in and does it every morning. How lovely. And uh, doctor's report, a jobs report, I beg your pardon, doctored by number 10. That's on the front page of the uh, the Telegraph, front page of The Sun this morning. You get a free Lego toy. Anybody still play with Lego? Yep, me. The Olympic torch that went out in Devon. Bit of an embarrassment there, bit of a faux pas. And, and a programme about barn owls. Actually did better than The Voice. Good. <laughs> and uh, BG Robin Gibb has said, just before he died, he wanted played at his funeral, How Deep Is Your Love? So there you go. But uh, as I say, I ordered loads of BG's stuff yesterday and felt much better afterwards. People are now saying that Robin should be knighted. Lots of tributes to him. Chelsea went on a 30-hour bender. There's a joke there somewhere. And uh, X-Fire Factor Supremo Simon Cowell has sexy sensation Rita Ora in his sights. Because isn't it funny how a load of people do it and then they don't want to do it again? Can't quite work that out. Uh, £100 fine if your garden is a tip. That one I welcome. And the Daily Mirror. Sorry, Victoria. Sheep placenta won't hold back the years. Alison Phillips is talking in her column today about that. I'm back with you tomorrow morning. Enjoy the sunshine. Sounds absolutely fantastic. I can't wait for this. Very excited. Bit of sunshine. So uh, enjoy the weather for yourselves later on today. And tomorrow's going to be equally as good. I'm back with you tomorrow morning. We'll have a free podcast up for you in about 30 minutes' time. And go to steveallenshow.com for details of our charity magic show. Uh, all of that and more we'll should discuss later on. See you tomorrow morning at four. Enjoy the weather. Enjoy Nick and the team with you after seven. Coming up next on LBC 97.3, the morning news with Susan Bookbinder.
The most sensitive sleepers are princesses.